This is a HeadGum Podcast. Welcome to the Jeff Rubin, Jeff Rubin Show. I am Jeff Rubin, joined for my annual summer movie review with who else but Patrick Castle's uh, Emmy-nominated writer for uh, Full Frontal with Sam B. Congratulations again. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This is fun. This is a fun part of doing this every year is like with the Emmy time and we can check in on how your show is doing. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it don't, it's, it's yeah, but two birds, one song. for you guys, right? Uh, third nom- nominated, third actually. Third nominated. Yeah. There you go. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Um, but that's not what we're here to talk about today. Uh, we are, of course, here, as we are every summer, in basically the longest and potentially only tradition on the Jeff Rubin, Jeff Rubin Show is every August or so, uh, me and Pat come together and discuss all the movies we saw this summer. Um, we're going to jump around a little bit this this year. And uh, we have usually this, usually there's a there's a Transformers movie to discuss. That's it's weird. We've outlasted the Transformers franchise. There is another Transformers movie oh, coming out like, <laughs> well, in course. Christmas. It's like the spinoff <laughs> with Bumblebee. That's 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 a spinoff. That's not the franchise. That's I not the mothership. Someone, I just saw like a comment on the internet somewhere that like Bumblebee was getting like good buzz, and I was like, pass. I refuse to accept that. That's I, so funny. I mean, none of them are. Oh God, I. We've, we've spoken way too much about the Transformers right, franchise. Right, there is no Transformers yeah. movie to discuss, um, but we are going to jump around a little. As always, we are outracing the dreaded gong. Uh, we Ooh. only have a few minutes to discuss each movie. Let's say five minutes and see how that goes. All right, so uh, first movie we're going to talk about, Mission Impossible Fallout. Uh, Mission Impossible 6. Love it. Uh, I mean, sorry, not to... No, the cards on the table. No, the time, time, the the clock is running. So here's the thing: I, we I, saw it together. We saw it together in IMAX. In IMAX, first so IMAX movie f- I saw, maybe in like over a year. Probably the first IMAX movie I saw that I was like actually glad I saw in IMAX. Like it felt like it added something to the spectacle. Oh, I saw Gravity in IMAX, and that was like a no brainer. Uh, yeah, maybe, yeah. I, I reserve it for like the most like movie that's like okay, this will be greatly enhanced by like the biggest, loudest experience possible, and that's like kind of only one, even with. All the blockbusters. I, I think that's like I don't think the Avengers would have been that much better with in IMAX, but Ghost Pro, uh, Ghost Protocol. What's it called? Fallout. Yeah. Like that skydiving scene. Come on. Like how do you not want to watch that in IMAX? You know, it's such a beautiful scene. Yeah. Um. I remember I saw Star Trek Into Darkness on IMAX, and I remember that movie. Probably not something you would have noticed if you didn't see it in IMAX. Has a lot of close-ups of Benedict Cumberbatch's face. Probably just a lot of close-ups in general. But I remember like my head just like going every which way, trying to take in the enormity of Benedict Cumberbatch's face on this enormous screen. It didn't really work, whereas this has like a lot of like uh, spectacle and stunts and wide shots and all that stuff. Yeah, I think it's kind of defined by that now. Like, I, I think when you when these movies come out, there's when a new Mission Impossible movie comes out, everyone's like, okay, what's the... It's the kind of... One of the only movies where it's like, okay, what are the three... What are the big stunts? Like, I hear... I heard more about the stunts in the marketing than anything else about that movie, which... It's not super common. I feel like it's like, oh, the skydiving thing. So well, I was waiting the, for the skydiving scene. Barely any scene. movies do stunts anymore, you know? Yeah. Here's, help me figure this out with Mission Impossible. I uh, like the movie. I've seen all the Mission Impossibles in theaters, I would guess. The only one I'm really passionate about is Ghost Protocol, the one that Brad Bird directed, number four, because it's got lots of fun gizmos and gadgets in it, which uh-huh. really speak to me. Um, but this one and the previous one, even though I liked them plenty, um, I like this one even better than the last one, uh, 
I find them like strangely difficult to get really excited about. Like maybe like when I see them and like the characters come back from the right. previous one, I don't remember any of the non-Ethan Hunt characters except uh, of course Luther, uh, yeah. the Ring Ring. But even when Simon Pegg shows up, I'm like, oh yeah, he's like I don't. I barely. He's remember. been there since I think part three. He he was right. introduced in part three. But just like when all the other people come up, like I don't remember who they are. Like I have no sense. They're good movies, but like I I don't really get very excited about them. Right. I, I, and I don't know why. Why is it? Like, can you help me figure out why? Well, I don't think it's ever really been... This is the first movie, I think, in the entire franchise that really acknowledged the existence of previous movies. Like, they've been kind of like James Bond movies, basically, which for the most part, except for a couple of the new ones and some of the really early ones, don't really care about, like, who his romance interest yeah, was in yeah. the last one or who the villain was in the last one or whatever, or how traumatized he was in the last one. This one is that kind of weird. It kind of brings together a lot of uh, like, because the um, I don't remember character names, but his um, wife from the third movie is in this movie. Like I didn't remember. And it brings back that the villain married. from the previous movie. He was married in part three. Like, I, I rewatched part three recently because that's the one I I've, I'd seen the least. Every time when it comes up that or he's the, married or engaged, maybe I think it was an engagement party. But what, he was yeah. I can never remember his like relationship status with the characters outside the film, like with. Julia, maybe, is her name? Like, he's got some existing relationship with her. Right. So this one was kind of like... This one was kind of... I mean, I'm, I'm repeating myself a little bit, but the... This is like... I think this movie was like the Fast and the Furious Part 4, where it was like bringing kind of things from the... The first three are just kind of like whatever... And then the fourth one's like, we're going to bring people back. We're going to start making a whole mythos here. I hope they don't keep doing that because like, that's not really why I watch the movie. But does the, that make sense? Yeah, the one I would like to rewatch, because I'm not sure I've seen this movie since it was in theaters over 20 years ago, is Mission Impossible 1, mm-hmm. um, which is a Brian De Palma movie, which Bri- is pretty crazy. Very and I don't remember, I guess I remember that like, I guess I do remember like the big plot twist, but I don't remember anything else about the plot. But I also think I'm curious to see the scene I mean, the big scene with, like, the, uh, you know, where he's dangling or whatever. It's, like, became such an iconic scene. I don't know if anyone... It was, like, big and famous at the time, but I don't know if anyone could have predicted, like, just how iconic that scene would have been, like, even all this time later. And I think it birthed a thousand... Like, it kind of gave... There were so many, like, not as good, but, like, the whole, like, Ocean's Eleven kind of heist scene was... I think that kind of was a big influencer for other movies that had heist scenes. Yeah, it's interesting how even though the Mission Impossible movies have changed so much that like that first one did sort of establish the template of like or, or, or like the idea that like the yeah. scene is like central to the Mission Impossible movie that it's like connecting a bunch of the scenes. And it really is beautifully done. Like you see the Brian De Palma influence in that scene. It's like not it's not that flashy. It's very quiet. There's no music. It's super quiet like on purpose because he can't talk because that would set off the alarm. Um but yeah, no, no, no. One is the first four. You got to like the the Tom, and I'm giving Tom Cruise and his producing partners credit because like it's it's his it's his thing basically. But De Palma, John Woo, J.J. Abrams, and Brad Bird, like that's a really cool first yeah. four directors. Like, and not an obvious lineup, but all four of them are great in their own ways. There, I there's something I'm about, a defender of part two for the record. There's something about them that I guess just like leaves me cold, even though they're like obviously very fun to watch and like very well put together. There's something about them where like I just like. Once I stop seeing one, like, I don't think about the Mission Impossible franchise at all until, like, the next one comes out, you know? I think it's like the Fast and the Furious, I do, and, and that's not a, a dig at either franchise. That's the nicest thing you've ever said about anything. <laughs> yeah. No, but, like, this point, like, they're events when they come out. Like, they're very different franchises, but I do feel like, like, I'm not going to not see a Mission Impossible. Also, like, I can't, can you imagine another 20-year-old franchise that is, like, 
none of the market, none of the press on this movie was like, oh, it's so sad he's doing the same franchise 20 years on. Everyone's just like, we're in. We're, we're excited for the next one. I sound like a marketing executive when I talk about this movie, but I don't know. It just brings it out in me or something. I don't know. I want to read this quote um, from this Sumerian textbook I found buried in oh, okay. uh, this woods. Weird. Uh, Ido ben utazom motazatu nebodu. Whoa! What just happened? That's like a time. Like a, we were like fell into a portal or something, right? It seems as though we have bypassed every other movie that came out in the summer of 2018, possibly because we weren't that excited about them. I don't know. I don't. I, no, I, I, I don't understand the rules of time warps. I, I'm still convobulated from this time loop thing. I don't know what's going on. When are we? I, I see a calendar on the wall. I don't know. I believe we are now in the summer. Of 1998. Oh, okay. All right. That's right. We are now going to be going through the movies of the summer of 1998. No other Mission Impossible movie, surprisingly, it uh, came out. But, you know, it's the summer of 1998. Closing time by Semisonic is <laughs> dominating the airwaves. Jeff and I are two studs of, I don't know, 20-something or 18 or whatever. How old are we? I am 16. So I'm like 14 or 15. So I am at the movies a lot this summer. Yeah. Though I was actually away at like a summer camp program this summer. So like some of them, there's some movies that like I missed because I was away that summer that like I've still never seen, which we can talk about. So Um, we're gonna, we're like, because of, because you, you fool, you read from this ancient cursed time travel book. We now have to talk about movies from 1998, not from 2018. But wait a minute. Something else just came through the time portal. Uh-huh. I'm pleased to report I still have my stopwatch and my gong. Okay. Well, so the, gong is, the gong is eternal. The gong is eternal. It exists at all times, at all places. So uh, we will now be going through the movies of summer 1998. Will we be going in order? I don't know if you've seen some of these. Like I said, I haven't. Um, I don't have a lot to say about these, so we can pass on some of these. Um, no, I'm excited. I mean, Well, let me tell you the first one, yeah. and I'm going to start the clock right now. The first one is one, this movie came out, I was like away at summer camp, and then uh, I wasn't at summer camp. I feel like I need to explain that I wasn't at summer camp when I was 16. I went to like this like summer program where I was like studying <laughs> movies or some nonsense. <laughs> I hope you delete this. for. I don't know why you're so I know. embarrassed by admitting that, but... <laughs> so May 8th, uh, a movie came out though I wouldn't have been away at this point but I never I've never seen to this date I've never Stop seen talking about your camp experience I've never seen Deep Impact I've never seen Deep really, Impact really that actually I'm sorry that is surprising and it came out the summer of 1998 um, the thing is there was another this is a, which we will of course get to there's Fate another Armageddon there's another major asteroid movie that summer I've never yeah I've never seen it is it good should I should I 20 years later, is it worth, like, is it worth, obviously no one except this podcast is talking about Deep Impact. Is it worth going back, catching up on? I think think you (coughs) should not die without having seen Deep Impact, like, especially if you've seen Armageddon, because it is, like, it's kind of sad. It is defined by its... Even 20 years later, like, they're still connected. Yeah, I wrote a whole, I mean, I wrote a whole sketch about, like, Deep Deep Impact and Armageddon, like... What was the premise of that? It was a couple, and, like, they realized that one of them likes... Armageddon, the other likes Deep Impact. It was hilarious. Uh, <laughs> but, like, it was based on, like, the, I don't know, but it was kind of just based on this random fired neuron of, like, oh, yeah, remember, like, when, like, Ants and a Bug's Life came out? That kind of weird... There's, like, li- there's like BuzzFeed lists of this also, of, like, movies that have the same plot that came out at the same time. The Prestige and The Illusionist, for example. Right. Deep Impact, um, 
is always was always to perceived as like the thoughtful Armageddon. It is right? more thought. It's actually it's better for that because it really it's more there 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 are space scenes in it. Robert Duvall is like the space captain who's and it's the same. Their plan to blow up the asteroid is the same as the plan to blow up the asteroid in Armageddon, but it doesn't work. Um, the cool thing is the I mean spoiler alert. Um, the asteroid one of the two asteroids hits the Earth, and that's a big scene. You don't get that in Armageddon. So, and it kind of deals more with, like, if this really happened, it's like Independence Day. It's like, if aliens showed up tomorrow, what would happen in the White House? What would happen in the government? What would happen here? That's your take on what Independence Day is like? Um, that's the that's nominally the premise. Like, really? What, isn't that, am I wrong? I don't know. It's just like, <laughs> I guess so. It's just, like, so ridiculous. It's not. You're right, you're right. Like, I you know what I'm 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 actually directly quoting director Roland Emmerich on the audio commentary when I bought the the Fox Five Star DVD back in 1998. Um, so or it's 97. I'm sorry. I did know that Deep Impact ended with Armageddon, right? Or mostly Armageddon. Well, so what happens is they the plan to blow up the asteroid fails, but it kind of works, and the asteroid is split into two parts. One is like very small, and one is very large. The smaller one hits first, and that one, like, that's what you see in the trailer and the movies and stuff, and mm-hmm. that makes the big tidal waves. The second one was also going to hit, and that's the one that would have, like, decimated all life on Earth. But uh, then there's, you know, maybe the astronauts save the day. I don't know. I'm I don't want to spoil it. this movie. Some pretty, you got Tay Leone, Elijah Wood, mm-hmm. Vanessa Redgrave, but also Richard Schiff, John Favreau. Uh, Blair Underwood. John Favreau's in it. Yeah, he plays Gus Partenza. I wow! I gotta. Re- I the cat is it's it, it is like the it is like for if Armageddon's for the kids, Deep Impact was for the parents. Like it was a kind of more serious version of that movie. I'm not saying it's better or worse, but it was more like thoughtful. Yeah. Do you think now it's not a Michael Bay movie? Now that we're 20 years later, and like the spectacle of Armageddon is, I mean, you know, special effects have just topped it at this point, and yeah. it's like, I mean, I, it's still. It's still very emotional. I guess we'll talk about it soon. But like, do you think? I don't know. Is now that the special effects of Armageddon aren't quite the draw they were in the summer of nineteen ninety eight when they were like you know literally the best special effects that anyone had ever seen? Maybe right. um, it does. Does that make Deep Impacts? Does that has that increased its stature? I don't think so. I think Armageddon. I know it made more money that summer. Yeah. And I also think it's the one that like way more people remember. Right? Armageddon. Yeah. Oh yeah. I think I I believe and you can fact check this. I think Armageddon was the highest grossing movie. Of 1998, like period, it made more money than any, and also written by J.J. Abrams. Um, speaking of Mission Impossible Three, yes, you are correct, and a lot of them are. We should talk about. Wait, the since we're in 98, we should just write Mission Impossible One or Three and make a lot of money. Because oh, because we've traveled back to 1998. Yeah, just like, saying, like when Hurley wrote Empire Strikes Back on Lost. Yes. Oh my God, I forgot about that scene. That's so funny. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah, Armageddon was the biggest movie at the well, time. Let's say Lost. Hold on. But I'm just saying, I'm, I'm saying, like, even 20 years later, like, it's it's clear that Armageddon's still the bigger movie. Like, it's still more well Yeah, it's more iconic. It, like, sometimes sometimes it's a joke. As a, Sometimes it's used as sort of a punchline, I think. All, I like Armageddon, personally. Um, but yeah, I think it's, like, it's, you know, I think it's probably at the higher... Um, Ooh, oh. that's the gun. That was five minutes? That was five minutes, I wow. think. Yeah, I think that was five minutes. Wow. Time flies when you're talking about Deep Impact. All right, let's keep moving. The next movie on our list. I don't know if this is one we have to talk about a lot, but it is, I thought it bared commenting on. The date is May 15th. The movie coming out is Bullworth. I love your, I love it's like, the year was 19, it was May 15th. Like, 
semi-charm kind of life was on the airwaves or whatever. Bullworth, wow, Bullworth, damn, this is fun. I don't know. I I want to say I do not know the movies Jeff's or uh, Jeff is talking about. So that, yeah, that's fine. I, we intentionally did not. I I know what's coming, but Pat's is not. Bullworth. Um, I like. I mean, everyone likes. Everyone who's seen Bullworth likes. It's generally regarded as a good movie. Yeah, but yeah. Like, I guess the thing that really the reason I thought it bare discussion just for a minute or two maybe is um. I actually think it's still, like, a pretty relevant reference. Like, if you yeah. say that, like, someone is doing a Bulwer thing, I think it was kind of happening. Right. It's been... I've heard it invoked so... Way... I've heard that invoked, like, recently more than I've heard the actual movie being talked about. Like, I don't know that anyone actually talks about the movie much anymore, but the idea of, like, a politician dropping everything and, like, just speaking... Right. ...very truthfully from his heart and being crazy... Uh, I wonder if it's how well it's aged. I bet it's aged not great because... For a couple of reasons, but one is that, like... We had a guy who just said whatever the hell he wanted, and it didn't really work out that well. And yeah. he became president. Um, not to yeah. get political, but like, I don't. Th- I'm not sure what Bullworth's politics were personally. I love that. I did like the movie a lot. There's um, a lot of health insurance at the end. I mean, yeah. I think we're f- we can spoil 20 year old movies, just whatever. Yeah, yeah. But, um, but at the end, he is killed. The thing that gets him killed is like uh, health insurance. Like health insurance is like oh, he's one killed? of the. Sa- I forgot that. Yeah, I, he's, know, he's, I didn't know that. He's assassinated because he's speaking too much truth. Right. Uh, by Paul Sorvino representing the health insurance agency because he's going to like mess up some sort of health insurance thing. And just the idea, like, I don't know, that's something we still haven't solved or whatever. The idea that the health insurance agencies, or the health insurance is still like a. Uh, as the central theme is not dated at all, you know. It's probably is it, it's probably one of the last starring roles that Warren Beatty did for a while. I feel like I Warren Beatty's like it was probably the last movie that probably penetrated last my good, yeah. young person environment that was like starring Warren ba- Warren Beatty. You know what I mean? I don't think he's made anything as big as Bullworth, which wasn't a particularly big movie since Bullworth. Like he there's was, been a few things, but I don't think anything's like he, he's, even the Bullworth. He, he's level. who um is a just unrelated trivia, but he is who um. Quentin Tarantino originally wanted to play Bill in Kill Bill. Mm. It didn't work out, so he cast David Carradine, who was great in the role as well. Um, but it makes sense, though. I think you know Warren Beatty is such a '70s icon that, of course, Tarantino loves him. Yeah, I remember the song "Ghetto Superstar" was a huge hit, and that's, yeah. I still I love that song. Yeah, that song um, still. Who is that? Who did that song? It's Praz. Praz, yeah. From uh, he, is he part of? Um, he was in the Fugees. The Fugees, yeah, and probably other people. I remember that summer, my brother was dating this girl, and her family had an RV, and we like all went on like a trip in their RV together, and that was the summer that song came out, and I they and that song was I just heard that song so many times in an RV with a friend of the family's essentially. That's that's a boring story. I'm sorry, but song probably bigger than the movie though. We can agree. Yeah, which the, a lot of uh, like the song the song from Mash made more money from the, than the movie Mash made actually itself. I'm always interested in movies where there's some meme, and by meme I mean like thought, not like in, yeah. not like picture with impact font on it, but just like thought that like permeates the culture. Or even, song, or something that's not the movie itself, yeah, right? Yeah, and in Bullworth, it's like the concept of the Bullworth politician. The other, my other go-to example I always talk about with this is The Bucket List, which yeah. is like not a good movie, that not a lot of, I mean, it was reasonably popular or whatever, but the idea that you should have a bucket list, I'm having a bucket list. I've done it on this podcast when I moved from New York, yeah. I have a New York bucket list. Um, so many people who have never seen and will never see the bucket list talk about the bucket list. And I feel like Bullworth kind of had a similar thing where like it inserted this idea into the culture, even for people that didn't see the movie. Yeah, I'm trying to think of another example of that where like the title of the movie, there are like other, we've, I think you, we've, there are other examples of yes. this where it's like, oh, it's like um, the, the list, not the bucket list, but like, oh, that's what you just said, but where it's like, you. <sighs> Here's one the, um, yeah, yeah. the, the episode of Friends with the list. 
of celebrities yeah. that uh, he Ross can sleep with or something, right? Like Ross has like his. Oh, list did that? Of, is that where that came from? I think so. Yeah. And here's another one I actually recently learned is I, I have to research this. Um, maybe Google this before you repeat it to someone else. But I am to understand that the, the, the friend zone, the concept of the friend zone is yeah. actually originated in a Chris Rock bit. There's a Chris Rock bit where he's like talks about, oh, like, oh, you're in the friend zone now. And it's like the first time anyone talked about the friend zone. Really? And now it's like obviously like, um, you know, it's like part of everyone knows what that is. Uh, even if they never saw it and will never see the Chris Rock. I wonder if there, I mean, there are people whose job it is, like who work at like, you know, Webster's or the OED or something who have to like, it's their job. That's a phrase, not a word, but still. They have to like they go back and find the first time someone ever said the word elbow or something like that. You yeah, know what I mean, like, so I'm I'm sure you could do that with. But these the are like friend I, zone. yeah, these is interesting because they're like concepts. Friend zone's like a phrase. Oh, oh okay, that's cool. We're not talking about Bullworth anymore, anyway. <laughs> All right, May twentieth. This was supposed to be one of the biggest movies of the summer. I believe it's directed by your friend Roland Emmerich, who we were just talking about. It is Godzilla. Wow, Godzilla, the 19- Godzilla Who is it, remake. Matthew Broderick? Matthew Broderick, Hank Azaria, is it, um, am I correct Sarah that, Jessica Parker. So let me just get this straight. There is an action movie. It's like one of the biggest budget, like before the summer comes out, one of like the movies everyone thinks is going to be the biggest movie. I think uh-huh. it's followed to Independence Day, right? Like this is like the people from Independence I, yeah, Day. Yeah, I guess thing. so. And it's an action movie starring Matthew Broderick, Sarah Jessica Parker, and Hank Azaria. Well, I know that's but weird. But I guess Independence Day is like Bill Pullman. Or Jurassic Park with Sam Neill and Laura right, Dern. Right. I think when... I think the star of that movie was Godzilla. Like right. you didn't need, you know, a little a little green <laughs> up and comer named Godzilla. I sound like a marketing person for it. I remember the marketing for that movie. It's so distinctive. It was like bus ads that was like his tail is as long as this bus, or it's like a, a, on the side of like a skyscraper there'd be a, a billboard that's like he's taller than this building. It was all yeah. about the size of him. God. I think the tagline was "size does matter." Was the tagline? I can remember. I think I can remember two things about this movie. Yeah. One is that Jean Renault was also in it. This was when like Hollywood was into Jean Renault. I love Jean Renault. This is like oh, we're coming out of the professional here. Yeah, I'm a Renault head. You don't you don't gotta sell me on Renault. And two is that it just ends with baby Godzilla's in Madison Square Garden. Like that's the ending, is like he had laid eggs in Madison yeah. Square Garden. I don't remember a single other thing about this film. Like I can't remember any of the set pieces. I can't remember who Hank Azaria is. Like, I can't remember who Matthew Broderick is. Hank Azaria is the... Hank, Matthew Broderick is Nick Totopoulos, who is a... No, you know the character's name? Nick, well, that's kind of a running joke that no one can pronounce his last name right, so I, it's burned in my head. I saw that movie a couple of times, actually. I kind of liked it, even though it was... I'm, it's not good. It's really been memory hold in a way a lot of these other movies haven't. Like, Deep Impact probably still plays on TV. I bet they never show that Godzilla We're on, on to another... I mean, we're on to a, new, a whole new Godzilla, like... Yeah, there's a new Godzilla. Do, do the new ones uh, acknowledge the existence of any of the old ones? No, yeah. but here's what happens. I mean, they're like the black sheep of the Godzilla franchise, right? Yeah. Um, but they still made. There's other Japanese Godzilla movies that came out, but they're coming out. I am not a uh, kaiju head. I don't know. Th- this is not my thing. Yeah. So um, I, I'm not certain about what what I'm about to speak. You're, you're going to delete that too. <laughs> <laughs> but there is. Um, so they they made Japanese Godzilla movies between like there were other ones that came out like but they're after. all their own like there there's right. no like there's no like continuity between them but right there's like a fifty year anniversary one or something like there's a big one where like all the monsters are back and they're all fighting and there's a scene in it 
uh, where they have like American Godzilla, who has like a different dis- distinct design, which is also not particularly good. Yeah, and he like American Godzilla makes a cameo in this Japanese Godzilla movie, the, the Matthew Broderick Godzilla. Yeah, and he's just like immediately like like one of the other Godzilla just like kicks it with its tail and it like immediately explodes. Oh, like, so that sounds kind of snarky, actually. Yeah, it's yes, like, it's yeah. exactly right. They were like, uh, I'm trying to think what's like another example of that where like they included like the the reboot of it. Like, well, Lego Batman has a couple of jokes about some of the the lesser Batman movies. Movies. Right. Um, I remember you you saw that weird ass Ninja Turtles movie. Oh where it's yeah. Like, I I still gotta watch that. That's a cool idea. Yeah, that sort of invokes, but not in a making fun, not in like a. Is this some straight to DVD Ninja Turtles movie that involves? It's about yeah. They see through realities and see all the versions. Like there's a nexus where all the turtle realities combine. I actually heard the there's comics, a sequel the to cartoon, that. but also the movies, right? Yeah, the games. I actually heard there's a sequel to that where like they got another version of the turtles. That's cool. In. It's like it kind of reminds me of Bill and Ted or something. It's right. Like, Really stupid, but really smart. I don't know. But I think with this Godzilla thing, it's much simpler, and it's just like it's they're still sore about it at yeah. Toho, where like they make you know it's it's still like yeah they still think it's ridiculous. Like they're making it, it gets no respect. Basically, it gets zero respect. You know, it's there you know, to be made fun of, like Dan in the Street Fighter games. Here's a cool scene in the Matthew Broderick Godzilla when he first. Oh, you know, you know who else in that movie? Um, it's, he's actually a pretty. He's um the guy who play, I forget his name. Kevin Dunn, who plays um, yeah, the Veep. chief of staff on Veep. Yeah, Amazing. Yeah. And he's in uh, all the Transformers movies. <laughs> that guy's a great actor. He's in like, a lot of David Mills stuff. Great character actor. And it's really cool that he's like now has this really awesome, like good role in Veep. Yeah. But anyway, he's, uh, he's, uh, he's pretty prevalent in the Godzilla movie. He's like the, the grumpy military guy who has to work with uh, Matthew Broderick. Anyway, when Bro- they hire Broderick because he's some sort of like bio-expert bio to, like, investigate the sort of, like, slime residue that Godzilla... Like, who... What is this thing? And he's, like... He gets down... He climbs a ladder into this big pit in the earth and is, like, scraping up mucus or something. And he's, like, well, where's the evidence? And he's, like, you're standing in it. And then it pulls out. And you realize... He, the whole scene is taking place in Godzilla's footprint. Because that's mm. how big Godzilla is. How did the movie not work? Why is it bad? <laughs> Why is it like not good? Like Godzilla wrecking shit should be. A I'm not base sure. Level I agree. Enjoying. It's not good. I mean, I'm I'm not sure I'm the right person to ask for that. Thank God. Save by the bell. <laughs> okay. Uh, this next movie, I don't know. It's one I actually have very little to say about, but it's something a lot of people love, and it's just interesting to think that it came out this summer. It is uh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Oh wow! You know, I could skip this. I have very little to say about this movie. I saw it like once twenty. No, years whatever ago. you want, we could talk about well, it. Do you, I, do you have anything to say? I, I wouldn't even know what to say. I about like it. Have. You like this movie? Oh, I think it's like yeah. I mean, maybe it's kind of like yeah. I think I, I loved it. I mean, it's very unique. I love Terry Gilliam. I would like to revisit it. I definitely like didn't have the patience for it in general. I don't have the patience for dream sequences. I like things that actually happen in movies. Like, I don't like... But to me, it's like outs. not like dreams... It's not like the normal kind of boring, meaningless... The whole movie's a dream sequence, so it's kind of like... And also, like... I know, that was my... But yeah. I think I was just, like, an impa- impatient as a teenager, and I didn't fully understand who Hunter S. Thompson was. Um, I still don't know a lot about Hunter S. Thompson, honestly, but, like... I'm I, a little surprised you don't like it because I know you love Terry Gilliam. Yeah, yeah. I know not to... I know you uh, have been known to partake from time to time. Here and there. So... And yeah, I don't know. Just those, just literally those two things combined, I thought might be enough to be swing enough. you over. Maybe I should revisit it. That maybe we should each pick a movie from this list to revisit. Maybe that's mine. You don't have to, but I'm no, no. Over. At the end, let's uh, we'll re- we'll circle back. I would consider watching this again because I I think I did not appreciate it at the. I, I, I I'm sure it's a well made movie. Um, I'll re- sort of you watch that like, and I'll rewatch uh, Godzilla and then get back to you about why it didn't work. Did it not make money or was it just? 
I don't know. It might have been one of those things where it, I don't think anyone like lost their shirt on it, but I think like they yeah. expected to make a billion dollars and like they maybe like crawled over. Britney another a weird another fun joke from that is that um, I can't remember the actor's name, but he's a it wasn't Roger Ebert himself, but an actor plays Roger Ebert. And Roger Ebert is the mayor of New York, right. and it's kind. Apparently, I had read that it was sort of like a meta joke. There's a from, Siskel and an Ebert. Yeah, like Siskel's Siskel. like his chief of staff yeah. or something. But what I realized was that it's not Ebert himself playing it, but um. Then there's like a bald yeah. guy and a fat guy. Apparently, it was like kind of like a little in joke because Ebert had like bashed some of his earlier films. Uh, not surprisingly, you yeah. Know, but um, you know what's fun with some of these old movies is you can just like go online and search for like Ebert reviewing Independence Day and just like see like Siskel and Ebert like talking about it like when it came out like. Yeah. Even though it's like a big movie, like unaware that it's going to become like this iconic movie or whatever, you know, you can just just go. Into yeah, I think you mentioned you watched the review like Science of the Lambs or, or something like that that was like really good, and Ebert's like, I don't know about this one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're generally correct, but uh, or you know, when I watched what that was interesting was Tron. I watched the review of Tron and the first, the original. Yeah, one. the original 1982 Tron, and they were like. Um, they really got it. They were like, it's not a great story, but like, it's a spectacle like you've never seen. And like, they were really excited about Tron. That's cool. I thought that was a fun one. Um, but that's not what we're talking about right now. We're talking about fear and loathing in Las Vegas. Yeah, sorry, sorry. I like it. Um, I think that, again, I mean, I liked it for like... Who the, is it? Johnny, Dor- Johnny Depp and Benicio Del Toro? Benicio Del Toro, yeah. That's, I forgot Benicio. He's such a... His performance is almost... Depp gets all the credit for that, but his performance is maybe arguably better because it's kind of more transformative. Like... Just, you know, what's his face? Depp is doing an impression of, of Hunter Thompson. A, an amazing impression. But, like, Del Toro is doing this, like, really vivid, weird character. I don't know. I, I bought the Criteria. I remember when the Criteria on DVD came out. It was, like, an event for me. Mm-hmm. It was a really beautifully packaged DVD. And, like, Ralph, you know, Ralph Steadman, uh, the artist? Yeah, he, yeah, yeah. He did all the art. You know, he did the art for the poster and stuff. And, and he's, like, the Hunter S. Thompson artist person? Exactly. Like, yeah, yeah, if you see any kind of Hunter S. Thompson art, it's that... that kind of nightmare sort of um yeah i don't know i i think i would recommend if you are a um if you like having physical copies of the movie buying the criterion collection version of that movie you know what's funny uh my friend adam who is pretty good about listening to this podcast if you're listening adam i love you gave me this podcast gave me this dvd once as like a birthday gift i think and the fear and loathing one yeah I think oh like, so you have you know what i'm talking about i think i might have it over there people think I like Fear and Loathing. That's like, you know, like everyone just sort of assumes I like Fear and Loathing. I might not have it anymore. It might be buried in the back because, you know, Yeah, you can't see this. I literally just went to Jeff's shelf to try and find it. But, uh, yeah, people think I like Fear and Loathing, you know? Um, I seem like someone who should like Fear and Loathing. Well, I remember when Scott Pilgrim came out, everyone was bothering you about that because it was like, oh, you must be so pumped for this movie. I got that with Ready Player One a lot, too. Um, yeah, that happens. You know, I, I put out a vibe. I get it. <laughs> no, but like, I'm sure like, I mean, even if you don't like, you weren't not at least intrigued by all of those movies. Yeah, right? Scott Pilgrim's like, pretty good even. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anything else to say about Fear and Loathing? Uh, no, let's, let's get, let's, let's just move uh, on. Let's, we don't need the gong to tell us. Is this the time. first time we beat the gong ever? <laughs> very maybe, very maybe. Um, the next one is actually a great example of the kind of movie that put an idea out there that became bigger than the movie and more famous than the movie itself. Uh, and that is, any guesses? The Truman Show. The oh, Truman Show. Yeah. Um, I watched The Truman Show not uh, very recently, but sometime in the past few years, which is pretty recent for The Truman Show. And it was pretty good. Like, I really like the sci-fi elements of it almost, like seeing how it all worked behind the scenes. Right. And it's sort of only become more... Uh, I mean, there's a movie that actually dates pretty well because... 
um, the the premise is more relevant. Like the idea of like watching someone when they're on all the time. Like yeah. reality TV is like an order of magnitude bigger. So like streaming is a thing that obviously didn't I think exist if, then. if anything, it's like I remember at the time it was like, oh, it like predicted a couple of years ago. It was like oh, like the Truman Show predicted reality TV. But I don't think even like live streaming with your phone or whatever was not even like. That was so far away from when that... I think it was more of a critique of reality TV than of, like... But watching it, like, it dates well, because there's, like, other things... No, yeah, exactly. It was even more prophetic than I think I thought of the original time. Um, And it's pretty good. The one thing that, you know, if you think about this movie in the context of 1998, when this movie was coming out, before it came out, for me, I remember the thing I remember about the marketing of this movie. When I think about a movie, I like to think about, what do I remember about the marketing of this movie from 20 years ago? Yeah. And, um... The Truman Show, it was like the first Jim Carrey serious thing. That yeah. was like the big deal. It was like Jim Carrey, rubber face, smart fart smith, as the <laughs> Onion once put it, uh, like is doing a serious movie. Like, can he be good? Will he be good? Of course, now we know like he can and he did. Right. Um, and in this movie. But a funny thing about rewatching this movie is there is a scene um, where Truman uh, is starting to suspect things. And basically when he starts to suspect things, he starts to revert to a little bit of rubber face, smart fart Smith. It's hard to say rubber face, fart Smith, Jim Carrey. And there's a part where he's driving around and he's trying to drive around unpredictably, um, to see if it will like throw everyone off their game. Right. And he's like, Oh, maybe I'll go this way. And he's like making like very crazy. And like it, it descends. It's it kind of interesting because it actually reverts to like an old Jim Carrey movie, like pretty distinctly. For well, a few I think it was like a transitional thing. Yeah, it was exactly. like, yeah, yeah it right. wasn't like, I think it was 50% dramatic, but it was also, it was a satire. It, there were a lot of comedy in it. Like, I'm not it, sure. It, it might have even like been a Golden Globe comedy nominee instead of a drama nominee. I'm not sure. But. But yeah, I think it was a little bit of. I think that's kind of how you do it. Like, yeah. I mean, if you're if you're like lucky, if you're a comedian, like I think Steve Carell is sort of is using the Jim Carrey playbook a little bit in his career. Right, he did yeah. like a few silly serious movies, and now he's like Dan in Real Life or Little Miss Sunshine. These are comedies nominally, but very dark comedies. And now he's doing Foxcatcher, and his new movie this this year is like some extremely dark, serious film. But the Truman Show is, I think, actually a great example of what we were talking about before in the terms of like. The I think like Truman Show syndrome is a real thing that like people experience now, where like they feel like they're being watched right. all the time, and like it's not. It, the movie has become just like this. Reference like point. I'm sure Good Morning America's be like, oh, I feel like I'm on the Truman Show or something like that. Like they'll just use it as like a term, basically, right? And the yeah, and the ending of the movie is I feel like very. Well I love the too. When I love like, that. I love the Truman Show for the record. Yeah, do uh, you? Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, I think it was like I mean. It was just so artfully done and different and interesting. And how do you yeah. feel about the deep impact the Truman Show's Armageddon? Ed TV. Ed TV. I was gonna, I was gonna bring that up. <laughs> I was gonna say it has its own. What a crazy summer! So many. Ed um, TV is not this summer, as far as I can tell. It might have been this year, but I I've actually never really. I've never seen it. I've seen clips from. I've seen a couple of scenes, but I've never Ed seen TV Ed TV. Came out in nineteen ninety nine. But Truman Show was like really successful. But like, I, they were forgotten. They were discussed in the same sentence in the same way. I don't. They must have been like known to be coming out at the same time. I did like Ed TV, as I recall. I don't think I ever saw it. Ex- I think I saw it once, like when it came out on video, never again. But the Truman Show, I can remember like many, it's funny, like we're saying with Godzilla, like I can remember 20 years later, there's like two or three specific things I remember. Truman Show, I saw it a little more recently, but there's so many specific scenes I can remember. I actually can't even really remember the basic premise of Ed TV. I think it's a little different because he knows he's being taped. Yeah. Um, it's more, probably more, um, it probably reflects what, modern reality TV is actually is like better than the true because the Truman show it was like the whole thing was taking place on this sound stage that was so big it was visible from the moon um you know it was like it was 
more fantastical. Yeah. Like he can control the weather with like right, buttons and right, stuff. Right. It was a little more magical. Whereas Ed TV, I think that's I think Ed TV is kind of just functions the way normal reality TV functions, where right. it's like a couple of people with a camera following you around all the time. Yes. I bet Ed TV like looks like her reality. It was also a good like mi- think- it was a good like mid I'm interested in this kind of like movies from pre McConaissance Right, right, McConaughey right. performances like I'm act- I don't I bet we've t- have we talked about this on this podcast oh no Sahara I'm gonna leave you to Sahara <laughs> um, we don't have to go into Sahara but I think Sahara is underrated next up uh, alright so it's funny I didn't it's funny these two movies came out at the same time because um, one is very fondly remembered and I don't like it and one is not fondly remembered and I love it okay. and maybe we can pair them together if only because they came out the same weekend uh, it is June 12th, and the movies are Can't Hardly Wait. That's the finally remembered one that I never liked. Uh, and the other one is Dirty Work, the Norm MacDonald movie, which is very unpopular, which I happen to love. Oh, so you're, like, pretty contrarian on both of these. Yeah, June 12th, 16-year-old Jeff was a real pain in the ass. And I will tell you, I actually have, like, a pretty vivid memory of seeing Can't Hardly Wait in theaters at yeah. the mall. I'm from New Jersey. And with a bunch of other 16-year-olds or whatever, and everyone was, like, going nuts and laughing, and I... Probably because I was like a piece of shit, and I was like, "This Terry Gilliam films are Terry Gilliam's <laughs> the only true director," you know. <laughs> and, but you also didn't like Fear and Loathing. I didn't see that in theaters, though. I didn't like, not like that. Yeah, I'm you know what I mean? It's just like right. A, you were know, kind of getting a little bit of a chip on your shoulder. Babies? Yeah, and I was like, just like didn't like it. And I remember everyone like loving it. And I felt like really out of sync with like my peers, and like there was yeah. like this like teen movie thing that like everyone was talking about, and I like didn't like it, and I felt. Uh, very defensive about it. I felt very. I was. I just, I, I liked that movie, but, but I also didn't see it until like years and years. I did not. See, I was like not cool enough to like go see it at the mall with my friends in 1998. <laughs> so like I didn't see it till like years and years later. I think it really is probably like a really great time capsule of the year 1998. I kind of wonder if like the way the way Seth Green dresses in that is basically like the kind of. I think that's like the. If, like, the hippie is the icon of, like, 1968, like, Seth Green's character from that movie is, like, the... With the goggles and the spiked hair and the, ja- like, nine jackets or whatever. I don't know. This is another one. I'm actually learning what a miserable prick I was when I was 16 years old. Because this is another one that everyone... It's it's pretty well remembered, even amongst teen movies. Like, all teen movies eventually catch on with the people who grew up with them or whatever. Um, but this one's, like, pretty well remembered. And I think people talk about it. And I bet yeah. it's not half bad. And I bet I didn't just like it because I was difficult. Well, I think I think American Pie was the next year, I believe. I think '99 was American that Pie. Might be. I did like, and American so it Pie. kind of came out at a time when like they're really American Pie. I think kind of revived the yeah. teen movie. And I think there was probably like a little, a couple of years in the mid '90s when you weren't getting a lot of like teen high school kind of movies. You were getting like you were getting like Reality Bites or Empire Records or Clerks, which are more about like the Gen X, like after high school or whatever, I don't want a real job kind of thing. I sound like such a grump right now, but what is can't hardly wait even about? It's a party, right? It's all one night. It's a party. It's a, it's a pretty classic. Like it's just one, the last night, I think it's maybe like the post graduation party or something like that. We are about halfway to the gong. Wait okay. for the dirty work. Dirty work. I got, I barely remember dirty work. I remember the scene. I actually watched it pretty recently. Yeah. A few, not very recently, but we actually used it for some article we wrote on College Humor, like you and I. It was like in a brain filler or something. I bet, I bet rewatching it, I feel like Norm MacDonald's is sort long, of. Which is not a great start for any movie. That's, always, that's, that's never a good start. A lot of those like one, the comedian movies where they get like the one movie they get to star in is like, they're usually like 80 minutes long, I feel like. It also has like 
Like, I think Freddy Got Finger is like 80 minutes long. It also has the extremely classic, like, SNL star Three Stooges plot of we need to raise X amount of dollars in Y amount of days. I, to save the I, orphanage I feel or like it has like a sort of cult following I'm, I think like in the way the Cabin Boy I feel like is it, people have come around on it um, I think Norm MacDonald re- of, of late seems to be like has had sort of a renaissance at least like in the court of opinion yeah. people seem to yeah. really have a, a lot of appreciation for him in a way that he wasn't getting credit for for a couple of years and I think because of that I bet Dirty Work has a fervid kind of fan base I don't remember it that well I remember Chris Farley's character who gets his nose bit off I remember the fish scene which is really funny wait isn't it in Airheads where he gets his nose bit off no he rips out someone's nose ring in Airheads oh really yeah he's, yeah, he's a cop in Airheads and he, and rips he's, out, he takes out someone's like a punk's nose ring I, I think you're also a big Airheads fan right? I have I've yeah. seen Airheads so many fucking times I like the premise of. I think I, I actually would love to go back and rewatch Dirty Work I, I don't remember t- that well it has. It's not a terrific movie, but it does have some really funny scenes. Like the prank scenes are very funny, and but, there's one particularly funny scene. God, it's so funny where they put um, dead fish in this mobster's house or something. Yeah, and then yeah. they're like, "You, uh, you," and then like they're, they're like, hiding. They're, they're the hiding, fish, and like yeah. they're holding the dead fish, and they have these like big shit eating grins, and then like the mob comes <laughs> in, and someone's like, "Hey, dead fish! Like, are you saying I'm a rat?" And there's like a big shootout, but it, you never see it. Like, right. it's all just sound happening off screen. I think it's see, a like, single two shot of Artie yeah, Lang and, and, and Norm McDonald. And you just like yeah. see them like holding the dead fish, like as every as there's just like this violent murder happening in the next room over, and like yeah. their faces drop. And like the scene with like I've never seen so many dead hookers in my life. Like the prank scenes are funny, but like the thing stitching. This is like pretty predictable. No, and it has right? like his like it has like that Norm McDonald style to it it's yeah. like a little dry it's very dry the whole thing with the notes he would take he would take like who's oh, the bad guy and who's the bad sorry is this i hope this is like entertaining to listen to because i'm literally just asking questions about this movie that i don't remember i don't know i'm looking at the list of people in it christopher mcdonald is in it is it possibly he's the, the bad guy <laughs> that'd be um i hope not because that'd be a little too redundant with uh happy gilmore but maybe I don't know if there is a bad guy but maybe there is he just has to raise a lot of money chevy chase is in it uh don rickles is in it Norm yeah. McDonald's been so thrilled. I think it's like Cabin movie. Boy, where it's like he was. Norm McDonald was probably. It's kind of a a movie that doesn't didn't leave a large footprint, but because he was Norm McDonald, he SNL, but also I think he was just like beloved and very famous in the comedy world. Like Don Rickles, like yeah, Don Rickles is in that movie, you know. Yeah. Like Cabin Boy has one of uh, David Letterman. David Letterman's only movie performances ever. Yeah, because you love Chris Elliott so much. Yeah, I went to a screening of that recently, actually. Is it good? I've never seen Cabin Boy. Oh, really? Yeah. I thought you had. No, I've never seen it. It is really fun to watch now. I was really just mostly watching it for the David Letterman cameo, honestly. Um, okay, let's move on to June 19th. Let's do another twofer here. This week, yeah, pick them up if you remember them. Mulan and the X-Files came out. I've never seen Mulan, I'm sorry. I saw Mulan in theaters. It was... Uh, I, do, I don't remember it particularly well. Um, Eddie Murphy was the lizard, right? Yeah, I think he's a dragon. A dragon, I'm sorry. Um, and, yeah, which is kind of like predating his donkey role, right? It's a pretty similar character to donkey. I guess the thing about Good Mulan point, is, like, yeah. Mulan was at that end of the run of, like, it was still in the 90s when they were, like, kind of on fire, you know, with coming off of Aladdin and Lion King. We're not that far. Like, maybe, is, it the, is it the last of, like, the great hand-drawn Disney films? I don't know. Um, I, I guess at the time, like, I don't remember being considered one of the great ones. But now, like, I feel like there's a lot of people who grew up with it that are very enthusiastic about it. And they're what followed Mulan? Mulan? Was that... I think Hunchback, or was Hunchback before it? I don't remember. I mean, you're you're more of a Disney head than I am. Like, I... 
I loved Aladdin, and I loved The Lion King, and I loved The Rescuers Down Under, and that was it. Basically, the only thing I really have to say about Mulan is, because I don't remember the movie that well, is I just in, it's interesting and impressive how I think its stature has risen over the years. Like at the time, I don't think it was considered one of the big ones, but I, I think people really remember it fondly. And now, um, you know, they're remaking it. It's on that list, obviously. Uh, they're remaking everything, of course, but... I did see The X-Files, Fight the Future. This is, let's see, I'm conf- I guess that must be, right? I saw that at a drive-in movie theater with my with both my parents in Wait, this is just the X-Files movie. Is Fight the Future, like, the more recent one? No, I want to believe is the more recent one. I Fight the Future, I thought that was the full title, but it must be like a... You're right, it must be the full title. Yes, also known as X-Files Fight the Future. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, this was a movie that came out like the height of X-Files mania, which I was, of course, into. Yes. Um, and this is kind of weird because the movie, I'm <laughs> looking at the poster for it, take t- this year, take your greatest fear and multiply it by X. Love it. Um, Love it. Because the X-Files had this really dense mythology at a time when TV shows didn't, and the movie did not like not shy away from that. It was like two hours no, of like it, in- in-depth mythology. It is a one-of-a-kind movie. It's like maybe uh, Serenity kind of compares to it in the sense of like, Needing to have seen the TV show to even get the movie. But I think it's like, because this was also like, it wasn't the end of like, this was like right in the, the show kept going for more seasons. This was just like right in the middle. Just this movie that, and if you didn't see the movie, like you would not understand the next season of the X-Files. I haven't seen Fight the Future in a while. The Serenity movie, Serenity, does a pretty good job of being like, giving you a helping hand. That's the Firefly movie, right? Yeah, Yeah, yeah. It does a pretty good job of. It doesn't assume everyone has seen all of Firefly. Like, obviously, it's better if you have, but, like, they're like, here's Jane. He's the tough one. Like, they give it, they, you know, they lay it out for you a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I saw it without having seen uh, and Firefly, and I thought, it, yeah, I, I was not lost. But the X-Files movie was is, like, I mean, the X-Files is, like, known for its deep mythology and dense mythology. Right, it's about the bee, I, the plot, I forget the exact plot, but they're using bees to, like, spread the black oil, which is, like, the alien virus around the world, I think. I don't remember, but, like... I but think yeah, this is and like, plot points in that movie are carry on through the rest of the series. Like, I think they were just like, "Got it." This is not how. It, like, I think they were like, "Is this? We have this X Files thing. It's really popular. Probably um, Star Trek was probably the only thing you could compare it to, where there was like this rabid fan base. Star yeah. Trek movies were really popular, um, but I guess the Star Trek movies weren't made while Star Trek was on the air. They were made much later, right? You true. know, this was probably like I guess it was like kind of a mystery for them, yeah, a mystery for Chris Carter to solve, the creator of the X Files. <laughs> of how to make a movie while your TV show's still on the air. Should it be a standalone thing? Should it wrap in everything? Based on the X-Files movies they made later, I think they determined that it should not be a standalone... It should be a standalone thing. Like, they, right. they, they learned that this was a mistake. This was not the way to make the movie. I think even X... Even people who love the X-Files and are super into the X-Files... Who this was, I guess, ostensibly made for, I, I, I don't think really like this movie very much. I don't... I think a lot of them dislike the new movies. I think this one... I think because it's just so it's it's so intertwined with the show. I don't think I don't think people even think about it as like a standalone movie. It's just like part of a bigger narrative of the show or whatever. You know, I do want to say while we're talking about Chris Carter, I really really want to watch. He had a show called Millennium. No, not Millennium. It was called Harsh Realm. Harsh Realm. Yeah, have you seen it? No, but I remember like ads for it during the X Files. I really want to see like Chris Carter's late '90s like virtual reality show. I'm sure it's it stars um what's his name right Lance Hendrickson I think, I think from Millennium. Oh no, Millennium's the one that stars Lance. Lance yeah, Hendrickson. yeah. Never mind. I don't know who's on Harsh Realm. There's then. a great <laughs> Millennium. Um, There's a crossover. Yeah, yeah. That's one of my favorite. That's episodes. the thing about the X Files movie is that like 
you're actually much more well served. There's like 10 X-Files episodes that are much better movies than the X-Files movie. That That's a great stories, point. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, yeah. That are one-offs or whatever um, uh, that I would say that are probably... The interesting thing about the X-Files is that like um, in retrospect, like the mythology thing is a total mess and like never really wrapped up. Right. And like the, the one-offs are actually the things everyone like still like really holds on and to. It's and it's both. It's not like Breaking Bad. It's like both. It's like I think you could, you could watch... If you ran, selected a random X Files episode, I think there's like a nine out of ten chance it's not a mythology episode. It's just right. like it's mostly Mulder not and Scully meet a monster. Depends on the era too. I'm not a, but it's I, like it's like Buffy though. It was like it was like I think TV was transitioning. Yeah, and now, now I, it's like you're more likely getting all mythology. Yeah, I watched the X Files at the time, but I'm not like an authority on the subject, unfortunately. Mm. Uh, okay, I forgot to start the timer, so let's just say that's five minutes. Gong, and move on to our next weekend. It is now June 26th. Uh, Fastball's the way, blaring out of the radio. Really? As you drive I love that song. to see. Okay, I got three this week, but I actually don't know a they lot of them. They made up their mind and they started. That's the song, right? Yeah. It is a good song. Fastball's a few good songs. Um, they consider the road that we walk on yeah. is pit. Yep, okay, that's great. the one. That's, that's Fastball, guys. Uh, okay. Kids. This weekend is. Uh, Buffalo 66, which I've never seen. Have you seen huh, that? I have, yeah. People like that movie, right? Yep. Dr. Doolittle. The Eddie 66? Murphy. What's it What's it called? 86, maybe? Or... I think it is Buffalo 66, but I... Yeah, I think you're right. I'm sorry. It is Buffalo 66. With okay, my bad. Vincent Gallo and Christina Ricci. I was confused because it's kind of roughly based on the Buffalo Bills losing the Super Bowl four times in a row. Oh. And that happened in the 80s, in the 90s. I'm sorry, the 90s, not the... 60s, but I'm sorry. All right, so Buffalo 66, Dr. Doolittle, and Out of Sight. Out of Sight's the one I actually know the best of those three. I didn't know you were going to like bundle them together like this. Dude, There's we got a lot, lot of weekends about. to get through. Uh, do you, I mean, but also I don't have a lot to say about I mean, Buffalo 66, is, Buffalo 66 is very, it's like a, it's Vincent Gallo's first movie. It's super like indie film. It's, I liked it, but it's like, it's kind of like Clerks. It's kind of charming because it was made like for no money. It's kind of like a gritty just indie film. Christina reaches in it. She's great. Do you have a take on Dr. Doolittle with Eddie Murphy? I never saw Dr. Doolittle with Eddie I Murphy. I saw it, but I don't remember it very well. Do you know they're making another Dr. Doolittle? They made it like... With Eddie Murphy? No, with Robert Downey Jr. He's oh, the new Dr. Doolittle. really? Yeah. Dr. Doolittle, like, it, they should... It makes sense, like, every 10 years they gotta make... I, it's surprising they've waited this long to make more Dr. Doolittle movies. Like, get a movie star talking to CG animals is, like, 80% of films anyway. So, like, Dr. Doolittle's, like, I'm the surprised Downey Jr., he does not need the money. No, obviously I don't think not. he does. I don't know his lifestyle. I, I think I don't know his they think this is, like, the next franchise. Like, I think that, like... This but doesn't is, he... He's just getting out of, like, a 10-year connection. Why is he going right to another potential... Let me see his directing. Endless franchise. I think, like, this is gonna be a... Like, this is a big budget movie that's coming out. Um, yeah, I never saw the Eddie Murphy Doctor Doolittle. I, I, the, a lot of those mid-career Eddie Murphy films, I, I kind of missed. I never saw The Clumps or The Nutty Professor or Norbit. Uh, oh, you've never seen The Nutty Professor or The Clumps? No, those are pretty big. Stephen Gagan is directing. Uh, I think he's a screenwriter. He's directing Robert Downey Jr.'s. You are right; he is primarily a screenwriter and um, of like, but of like serious stuff. Too. I think he wrote like a couple of like. George Clooney dramas or something. Anyway, whatever. Of course, they've got a ton of famous people playing all the animals. You got Emma Thompson as a parrot. You got John Cena as a polar bear. Uh, Rami Malek as a gorilla. And how about this? Friend of the Jeff Rubin, Jeff Rubin show, Kumail Nanjiani as Plimpton, an ostrich. Awesome. I love cool. that Kumail's like, 
in, I love in it. the celebrity animal CGI pool now. That's yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Uh, so that's Doctor. That's what we have to say about Doctor Doolittle. Is we are looking forward to Doctor Doolittle twenty nineteen, maybe. And then no, no, dude. There's only one true Doctor Doolittle, and his name is Eddie Murphy. I feel like they were making Doctor Doolittle movies in like the silent film era. Like they've just been making them for like a hundred years, you know. And then Out of Sight. Do you remember Out of Sight at all? Of course, yes. Yeah, I love Out of Sight. Yeah, yeah. Pretty good movie, right? Yes, and it was like definitely the best Jennifer Lopez. I guess I'm not super familiar with her work, but uh... she probably has a. That it's it may, put her on. She's great in that. Clooney's great. Is that before Aaron Brockovich and Traffic and stuff, or is it like that? Right. This is like '98. I think is like basically like '98 to like 2001. Is like Steven Soderbergh was just on fire. He made this movie. Then he made Aaron Brockovich and Traffic in the same year. He's one of the only directors to be nominated. He was nominated for Best Director for two different movies in the same year, I think. Wow, that's interesting. Yeah. Out of Sight, also one of the, it's one of the best Elmore Leonard movies, which is saying something. Yeah. There's a bunch of good ones. Yeah. Jackie Brown, et cetera. There's actually, and so Michael Douglas's character from Jackie Brown is in, I'm sorry, Michael, Michael Douglas's character from the movie Jackie Brown, the Tarantino film, has a cameo. Michael Douglas is in Jackie Brown? I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Michael Keaton, I'm sorry. Yeah, Michael Keaton is in Michael Jackie Brown. Michael Keaton's character right, from Jackie cameo. Brown. he has a cameo. And apparently it was a really controversial, like, because there were different studios, mm. and so, like, but Tarantino just had to use, like, because they had to, like, basically, like, strong-arm the studio to be like, let P- them do this Part for of free. the Elmore Leonard shared universe. Well, let me give you another one of yeah. those, which is Stephen Root played a character on an Elmore Leonard, short-lived, but I guess well-remembered Elmore Leonard TV show. I think it was called Maximum Bob, and Stephen Root was a judge. And then they brought him back on Justified as the same character. I might be getting this fifty percent correct. This is this is another wow. one. This oh, right, because yeah, Justified is also based on Elmore Leonard. But s- in Justified, they never say story. who he is or anything. Like he's never named. Like you're supposed to just like this is like so for super fans. Like no one's ever heard yeah. of this. But like uh, you're supposed to intuit that it's the same character and that he's made the jump. He's, but he's never named. They never explicitly say it. And, I and maybe that's for legal reasons movies. where yeah, it's yeah. like as long as you don't call him Doc whatever. Just, yeah. And so oh. I wonder if they did something similar there. I might be like 50% off on that Stephen Root story, though. I think no, I love that stuff. It. That's really cool. All right, here we are, July 1st. You know what's coming out of the radio because we are going to see Armageddon. So we are listening oh, to, to Aerosmith's first number one hit. Maybe they're only still their number one hit. Aerosmith's uh, I Don't Want to Miss a Thing. They did not have a number one hit before I'm, I Don't Want to Miss a Thing. I'm pretty sure that's correct. That's shocking. And also, they didn't write it. Um, it's like someone else wrote that song. I actually recently saw a video... I guess Steven Tyler like saw some dude on the street like a busker or just someone with a guitar singing it and like joined the guy on the street for like singing the song and it's very nice and a crowd forms or whatever. Yeah. Uh, singing this song, I don't want to miss a thing. And like this song, just as much of this movie, has never gone away. It's funny because if I saw Steven Tyler standing next to a homeless person, I would think Steven Tyler <laughs> was the homeless person. Sorry, Steven Tyler. Uh, yeah, the first number one song for Aerosmith after 28 years together. Damn. Um... Who would have guessed 20 years later, at Aerosmith, 28 years old at that point, their first number one hit, who would have guessed 20 years later we'd still have Aerosmith, like with the full lineup? Yeah, they're uh, they're like the Rolling Stones. I mean, not, not as, I'm not not a qualitative uh, thing, but they I think they're just kind of like, they've just, I don't know, I don't really know rock and roll that well, so I'm not authority on it, but... They're alive and that's gotta be worth it. Great song, great song. It is a pretty good song, you have to admit, like if everyone's, yeah. you know, still talking about... So Armageddon is a movie where I can remember tons of the scenes, and not just like the destruction ones, but we always joked about like the animal cracker scene. I feel like we made a lot of animal cracker right. scene jokes at College Humor, like <laughs> when Ben Affleck is 
yeah, having well, animal crackers dance on Liv Tyler's body or whatever. Yeah, because it's like very clumsy Michael Bay, not action scene, yeah. you know? I will say, great cast in that movie. Like, Oh my God. Let's pull this up. Let's you got, go I can name, I mean, Steve Buscemi, of course. Owen Wilson, Michael Clark Duncan, Bill Paxton. I'm sorry, Bill, is it Bill Paxton? Mm. Will Patton? Will. Is it Will Patton or Bill Paxton? It's Will, Will pa- Patton. Will Patton. God, is in sorry. William Fitchner. Oh, love him. Peter Stormare. Who's that? I know that name. He's like... Oh, he's Carl Hungus in The Big Lebowski. Exactly, yeah. And uh, Ben Affleck, of course, Billy Bob, Michael Clark Duncan, Jason Isaacs. Um, Jason Isaac. We were just talking about him last night, actually. Yeah, we were just talking about how Jason Isaacs is underrated. Great comedic performance in The Death of Stalin. I would say maybe the best performance in a movie full of really, really good comedic performances. I guess I just like wonder... How, how do you judge the value of Armageddon if it's a good movie? It's like pretty – it's definitely not a good movie by traditional standards, yet it's so beloved and truly beloved. Like people cry at it and shit, you know, right. and like well-remembered and um, I guess like influential in a weird way, even though I know it's not a good movie. Like at its core, it's like not yeah. – but like it's like the emotions are so big. It's like the end totally works even though it's right. like – not and like I said, it was. I mean, it was. No one regrets making that movie. That everyone made a bajillion dollars on that movie. Yeah, yeah. and like I, I, I feel like you, I begrudgingly admire it, even though like I, I don't know how to def- tell well, you the, if it's the good funny or thing not, is, but. I think at the time it was people was like, oh, like if you at the time, Mike, it was like maybe it wouldn't be at the top of Michael Bay's, the percentile of Michael Bay movies, qualitatively speaking. But now that's funny. It's probably like. The top three, mostly because he's done nothing but Transformers films, right? And, this and a was couple of his other first things. Movie after the Rock, right? I think it's probably my second favorite Michael Bay movie after the Rock. The thing that strikes me about this movie and that makes it good among Michael Bay movies is that that ending works, and it's like legitimately sad when Bruce Willis decides to sacrifice himself. Who we didn't yeah. mention we were going through the cast that Bruce when Bruce Willis spoiler like, alert sat, it's like legitimately sad. It like work right. like that moment like works, and like I don't know, you got to give him some points for that, I guess. No, yeah, I mean, I in think addition to like you know, obviously the spectacle and all that that you get in other Michael Bay movies, but like he, he somehow managed to like rein it in and like make that stuff work in that moment. I think pre transform pre Transformers or maybe pre Pearl Harbor Michael Bay, there's not as many like turkeys as you. Th- I don't know what even turkey means, but you know what I mean. Like I love turkey. Like you're like Sandy Canyon. Not fan. Not financial. I mean, just in terms of like cr- like. I think you like The Rock, right? Of course. And we're both agreeing that Armageddon's pretty good too. Bad Boys isn't bad. Actually, no, we, Bad Boys, we didn't we love did that much. We did not like Bad yeah. Boys. But, but, that's, seen, but that's, we're outliers. Most people like Bad Boys. Yeah, I, we saw, you and I both saw Bad Boys for the first time. We watched it with Owen and Dan, like, yeah, yeah. a year ago. And, like... Shout out Owen and Dan. It did not... There was, yeah, but our, our arguments are pretty nuanced. It's not like, it wasn't, like, a complete... F- no, people liked yeah. it. And, and I, yeah. And I've heard Bad, Boy 2, Bad Boys 2 is better, and we have to check that one out. But I'm just saying, like, if you look at his first couple of movies, like, they all made money, and people don't hate them as much as you would think given the sort of Michael Bay, easy Michael Bay joke about his movies being bad. Yeah, his movies... So, I mean, to be clear, there's a lot of movies he made that I do not like, but... I mean, it's true, though, that like over half his movies now are Transformer movies. Let me see right. if I can... He's yeah, it kind of videos. changed the whole, like, po- the, the whole like statistical pool of his movies, sort of. Okay, here's his movies. Bad Boys? Bad. Or whatever. The Rock, Armageddon, Pearl Harbor, uh-huh. uh-oh. Uh, right. Bad Boys 2, The Island, then... Transformers, Transformers Revenge of the Fallen, Transformers Dark of the Moon, Pain and Gain, Transformers Age of Extinction, 
13 Hours of Secret Soldiers of Benghazi, Transformers The Last Night. But his next two movies are actually, I think, original. Six Underground and something called Robopocalypse. Oh, Robo... Yeah. <laughs> He's directing these? Yeah. Robopocalypse is based on a science fiction <laughs> novel. And Six Underground is an action film. This podcast is basically Reynolds. just like... like if you're, this is just like hanging out with me and Jeff right now. It's like, <laughs> like we're just literally like Jeff's just googling Michael Bay's next couple of movies, and we're learning about it for the first time right now. It's I'm cl- so sorry. It's clear that Armageddon and The Rock was a high watermark for Michael Bay. Yeah, exactly. And, and and you know if you're uh, if you if you want to include Bad Boys too, which people like, even though we kind of have mixed feelings on it, that's a good first three films. Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm being a little too gushing towards him. Like it's fine if you don't like Armageddon, but. The Rock's dope. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. All right. We are just about out of... Nice. Oh, perfect gong time. Well, I'm looking at the clock. So, next up, obviously, no one's getting near Armageddon, so we're moving all the way to July 10th for a movie I saw two minutes of on TV the other day, oddly enough, Lethal Weapon 4, um, as well. I also saw... that on probably the same broadcast yeah. that you did. That's so weird. So Lethal Weapon... This, uh, four, part four. This is this weekend, Lethal Weapon 4, Pi, the Darren Aronofsky movie, some counter-programming there, and uh, Small Soldiers, which I've actually never seen. I've wanted to see Small Soldiers for 20 years now, and I've never actually I'm, made the I've Lethal. also never seen it, but I'm shocked you've never seen it. Because I love toys and shit. It's a Joe Dante movie, I want to say. Um, oh, I, is that true? I, I think That's Phil awesome. Hartman's in it, even. Is that possible? Yeah, I bet it's pretty good. I'm sorry I've never seen it. I bet it's not it. worth going back to like watch now. I don't know. Joe Dante's awesome. I bet it has some like fun... Do you remember Lethal Weapon 4? Which part I did do. you see? Uh, the, I saw I saw like a good chunk of the middle, but I actually was a big fan of that movie. When I saw it in theaters. I saw... Lethal Weapon 3 is the first R-rated movie I saw in theaters, I no, believe. No, wait, 3 or 4? 3, if it's rated R. But we're talking 4, right? I know, I'm just giving you some Jeff yeah. trivia here. Um, Jet Li's in it. Great Jet Li Jet performance. Lee, Chris Rock, like, the, everyone's like, okay, should Chris Rock be famous now? Should we put Chris Rock in movies? And, yeah. like, it's kind of an... I remember I saw the scene where Chris Rock and Joe Pesci butt heads. Oh, I saw like, that too. Yeah, we, 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 so, yeah. Why are they? Sh- why is that on TV again? I don't know. Um, twenty year anniversary. Oh yeah. Oh right. Of course. Duh. And or someone could get the rights. Um, yeah, I saw that. Oh boy, Chris Rock and Joe Pesci. They do not get along at first. You have to understand. But they ultimately do because they kind of are both like. Oh, I can get that dis- part of the movie. There's a later. The first scene where they meet, like Joe Pesci thinks he's a criminal, and so. Chris Rock is not having that, obviously. Mm. But later, they kind of bond over their mutual like hatred of cell phones. Oh, and, right. But they kind of realize they're kind of... Because they're both loudmouths, you know? There's a scene in that movie where Chris Rock gets to do... Like, they just like set him loose for two minutes, and he just does like... He just does like a two-minute set on phones, and he's like, then you gotta dial the rotary phone. He's like dialing yeah. the rotary phone in midair. You could tell it was like... I mean, you don't, you don't hire Chris Rock at that point in history and like not give him like a set piece. Yeah, the Chris Lethal Weapon's a franchise that really strayed from its roots. Like one is like, oh, this is serious. He has PTSD from Vietnam. Like, yeah. is Martin Riggs well? And four is like a total bonanza with like the entire family. Like it's got like, yeah, it's kind see, of obviously you got Martin Riggs and uh, Murtaugh running yeah. around, Danny Glover and Mel Gibson, but also Rene Russo, Joe Pesci. Like Joe Pesci has comic relief in this one. Chris Rock, um, Jet Li. Uh, there's other people. Maybe is that it? I'm, I'm sure there are. I think uh, it's like a very crowded poster, you know. Yeah, like, yeah. And it's 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 much sillier and like um, doing a fourth installment of any. Did I say fr- Renee Russo? Uh, I don't. I don't know. Anyway, yeah, she's around yeah. too. And she was in from part two, right? I think. I think she might have showed up in three. Doing a fourth installment of your franchise is really like crossing a Rubicon because I feel like three is like a trilogy and it's totally normal. 
But if you're doing four, you're saying like, okay, we're gonna do as many of these as we possibly can forever. And four is as many lethal weapons as we can do. I've heard rumors of a fifth, but now the TV show has kind of muddled that water. And also like, it's also part in part four. They're like, there's a whole thing about like, we're getting, we actually are too old for this shit now. Ha ha ha. Right. And it's can so you funny. Imagine Tw- how much he's gonna say, "I'm too old for this shit." In a, in a hypothetical lethal weapon five, you can't make a big movie with Mel Gibson anymore, right? That's a great question. I I I would hope not. I do think like, like he's done he's doing movies again. Like they yeah. put their put I guess he hasn't done like a heroic role since. Like he's now like a bad boy basically, which is problematic and like but he's been he's doing movies again. He was at the Oscars 2 years ago or something. Uh I also saw on TV Lethal Weapon 2 somewhat recently. I also saw Lethal Weapon 1. Like these movies are around. Here's my take on the Lethal Weapon series. One, in Lethal Weapon 1, there's a scene where they jump off of the roof, handcuffed together. Like, that's a big scene. I think it because one of them's going to commit suicide. Like, Lethal Weapon 1's a lot darker than the others. Right. And um, they show, like, they jump off the roof, handcuffed together, and they show it from, like, five or six different angles. Right. Like, that's, like, a big, because it's, it's a stunt. It's right. kind of like, it was, like the biggest stunt of the entire movie, basically. Yeah, it's like two people, I, I mean, obviously it's not Mel Gibson and um, Danny Glover, but, like, just two people handcuffed jumping off a building together, like, show it again, show it again. Right. Like, just, just keep looping this footage. And it just, like, makes you remember what action movies used to be like. Um, and it kind of, like, I mean, it, I think Lethal Weapon, like, kind of like Die Hard 2, like, action movies as we know them kind of are not that old of a genre. Right. Like, they kind of are from the 80s, sort of. Like, I think Lethal Weapon was one of the first. Like, yeah. you had Dirty Harry and stuff, but Dirty Harry is more of, like, a gritty it's noir. Like a thing, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. And you, no, just, that's a great point. Like, kind of like, like the, 70 Superman's, like, a comedy, maybe? Right, exactly. Um, but yeah, that's kind of the opposite of the Mission Impossible, the new Mission Impossible, though, where it's like, could you imagine if the biggest stunt of the new Mission Impossible was just him jumping off a building? I will say I was only paying attention to Lethal Weapon 4 briefly. Uh, there was a scene where, oh. Finish your thoughts, cool. There was a scene where, so this is all about, like, um, people, like, human trafficking from Asia, and yes. that's how Jet Li gets involved. He's, right. like, the enforcer for that gang or mm-hmm. whatever. And they're going to the head of the gang. And, you know, Murtaugh and Riggs, they're pretty cocky. They walk in there. Right. And, like, there's a thing where he's talking about fried rice. And they're saying, like, fly the lice. Yeah. Instead of, like, fried rice. And, like, kind of making fun of the way he talks. And I thought, like, no one in that scene came off as particularly good. Yeah. I, I was watching and I was like, mm, I'm sure there's, like, yeah, I don't think it's, I, I, I think it hasn't aged well for a lot of reasons. I think, I'm sure there are some less than respectful depictions of... Chinese culture in San Francisco and but also Mel Gibson <laughs> Lethal Weapon 2 I, I know we gotta move on but I, this is one of the craziest things in like a big budget action movie to me Lethal Weapon 2 the bad guys are from South Africa in a time when South Africa was an apartheid state and that's not why they're the bad guys in the movie I think um, but there's a scene where they have to like break into the South African um, what do you call it you know they're consulate uh, yeah and to call it, to, to create a... Dis- Consulate's a word I only know because of action movies, right, right. for the record. The embassy, maybe. Yeah. And um, to create a distraction, Danny Glover, who is, uh, in addition to being a great actor, has done a ton of work for civil rights over his career and is like, obviously, like, this is, you know, I'm sure thought about this. Uh, and th- so there's a scene where they have to break in or whatever, get something. And to create a distraction, Danny Glover goes in and says he wants to immigrate to South Africa, which is not, a, you know... And at the time, is an apartheid scene. Right, right. And everyone's like, what? Oh, my God. And, like, it's, like, kind of this, like, hijinks thing because he's doing something very silly. 
But like at the core of it is the idea that South Africa is an apartheid state, and it's nuts. It's like really funny to. Uh, funny yeah, to I think action word. movies are often like weird little time capsules of like because they, you know, like they sort of will borrow whatever is happening in the political moment for their plot points. Like Predator or something is a nominally about like they're going to this country to like because of the drug war or whatever. So it's like it is a really f- weird, funny kind of dated history um through action movies essentially you know what i mean yeah we gotta move on we're running out of time let's pretend you're at home you're watching mtv the fat boy slim video for rockefeller skank has just ended oh man awesome you realize you gotta head out to the chris walken because you're going to see there's something about mary which came out July oh, 15th, 1998. You might not have seen it opening weekend. That's a movie that, like, really, I think, sort of somewhat famously um, didn't open big, but, like, right. like, grew over time into a phenomenon. Yeah, like, dirty, com- I mean, from what I, what I remember, like, dirty comedies were not, like, our hard R comedies actually were not a big moneymaker until that movie, basically. Yeah, something about Mary is so pretty well remembered. I watched it again. In the past, maybe it was like 10 years ago already, but that's like, again, sort of recently for something about Mary. Yeah. Pretty funny movie in addition to like the two or three scenes that you definitely remember. Um, and those are like my least favorite scenes, honestly. Yeah, there's, like, there's The zipper ton- scene is like, probably because I've just seen them so much that I'm just trying to be cool or whatever, but like, right. the best but, scenes to me are like, I don't want to cut you off. I'm sorry. No, no, like no. there's tons of other funny stuff. Like tons of, there's, the in-between moments in that movie are also very funny, even in between the big scenes, which probably don't have the punch they did like when in the theater like oh my god am i seeing someone's balls in a movie this is nuts like i mean the 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 zipper scene is like i mean it still kind of holds up in its own stupid way like it's yeah yeah i mean they play it very well like the tension like are they gonna show it you know and like they don't show it till the very end like it's it's perfectly executed you know and And i I heard them just dirty i actually listened to the audio commentary of that movie when when i had back in the day and like they the farley brothers who directed it talk about how like they purposely were like, we're going to wait. Like, we cannot show this until the very end of the scene because, like, we want the audience to think, okay, they're not, like, right. be convinced they're just not going to show right. it. And it works. It's yeah, it great. totally yeah. works. And the movie's pretty funny. I feel like it's well-remembered. I guess there's not, like, very few, like, R-rated, dirty comedies like this. I mean, there's, like, the Seth Rogen stuff and... I don't know about it. I think, I think, I feel like, um, post... I, I think, I think, I, like, yeah, I think every, like... The Judd, a lot of Judd Apatow's like repertoire is sort of like relies on a pretty yeah. R-rated. That's not a criticism. I think it's a, a good I, thing. I but. guess what I'm thinking, maybe I'm wrong, but what I'm thinking is because the internet has desensitized all of us so much that it's hard. Like I can't think of a movie where it'd be like, oh, this scene's gonna blow you. Like they got a scene that's just crazy. Right. It's like it's nothing you've ever seen, you know. Uh, like after I saw that video of that RoboCop sketch, do you know what that's called? So we can direct people to it. My favorite oh. RoboCop video. I think that was Fatal Farm's installment in the... It's called Our RoboCop Remake. Yeah, okay. Google Fatal Farm Our RoboCop Remake. Yeah. I just... if you, To me, like, after you see this, which I think is so funny, like, I will never be shocked by, like, anything I see in it. I feel like in a movie again. Um, though I... Actually, I have a story about that, actually. I... So that was... that This scene that Jeff just told you about is part of this project that where, like, everyone... We, RoboCop was remade from the beginning to the end, but a different director directed basically every scene of the movie. So it's like 20 directors or something doing each scene. I was in LA at the time and um, our friend Mike Carnell directed, directed one of these segments. 
I played RoboCop in it. It was really fun. It came out really great. It was a, a really fun experience. But our segment was, our scene just happened to be right after that Fatal Farm scene. Uh-huh. And it was just really unfortunate placement because like, it was very, just that scene was so, it's so difficult funny. to top. Yeah. Like, just because it's so extreme and So go and, check that out great. if you're, if yeah, you're yeah. near a phone. It's uh, very funny. Yeah, Fatal Farm's so funny. And that, see my scene too though, also. Stick around for the next 30 seconds too to see yeah, that. Yeah. Um, so, what was I saying? Oh, just like, uh. A movie I did see that did that actually was the Sasha Baron Cohen movie where he was a spy. That the Brothers Grimsby. No one saw it on Earth, but I saw it at like a Sunday night in like an empty theater. Right. And that movie has a, like a gross scene that was the I think the first time since Something About Mary where I felt like I couldn't believe what I. I'm not recommending you see this movie, but there was one scene in the movie that truly shocked me, and I was laughing in shock in a way that was reminiscent of Something About Mary. And That's I can't impressive. Think of That's impressive. Yeah, yeah. Then. It's. The, I don't want to be like, oh, it's the internet's fault or something, but I don't know. Like, I'm not like, yeah, like, I, it, it takes more to shock me than it did in 1998. But something about Mary holds up because it's not just funny because of the shocks. And also, it's not just funny. Like, you actually want to see him get together with Mary at the end. Right. The, um, who's Matt the other, Dillon's funny in it. Matt Dillon's yeah. very funny and, like, he's terrible. Like, you're really rooting against him. Like, um, the movie has, like, stakes. It, even if it wasn't funny, it would probably be an okay movie because it's, like, a decent story well told. Yeah. Um... Also, Jonathan Richmond. I love Jonathan Richmond as the narrator in that movie, and that totally turned me on to Jonathan Richmond, who I still listen to. Who's that? He the, he like he sings, he like sings oh, guitar, you know, like he's like kind of yeah. like the Greek chorus of the movie. I didn't. I never even thought about who that was. Yeah, was... he's like one of the early pioneers of rock and roll, and his early album. Um, I didn't know that. Like, I'm not breaking new ground here. This is a very famous. No, no, no. Album. Interesting. Yeah, they're great, and he's the songs in that movie are pretty catchy. And it's a fun day. Wouldn't have known I'd find great summer. Is it something about Mary? I love '98. A lot of. Different kind of movies. Amazing summer. Uh, July 17th. Here's one I saw but don't necessarily remember very well. It is The Mask of Zorro with Antonio Banderas. Do you remember? Did you see this? You remember it? You know what's funny? Do you want to watch the trailer for it? Would that be fun? Sure. I mean, uh, is this fun for the listeners? I don't know. Let's see. Let's try something different. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe we'll have a bit for next year. You know what? If, they, if, if they're still listening, then they're down for listening to us watch the trailer for The Mask of Zorro. All right, hold on. I'm going to pull it up. I remember this. I actually remember this shot very specifically from the trailer. This is the shot where he cuts the Z into yeah. the into like the screen we are looking at almost, and then we go into the Z. Uh, Zorro's another thing, like Dr. Doolittle. They've like been making Zorro movies since like the right, dawn of cinema. Yeah. It's kind of surprising like they're not making another one right oh, now. Oh, Anthony Hopkins. This was also like... Hopkins has been being like the old guy who's in one scene of a movie for like... Since this year, <laughs> yeah, he's in like the beginning of Mission Impossible two for one scene. Well, honestly, that's kind of he's, his role in Silence of the Lambs. He's only in Silence of the Lambs for like fifteen yeah, minutes. Yeah, Westworld. That's kind of what he does in yeah. Westworld, essentially. Um, we, do, I, do I have to say what's actually physically happening? I think only if only if you want to talk about it, you know. Right now, well, this is like a Blues Clues thing. Where it's like, hey, kids at home, if you're home, play the Zorro trailer. <laughs> The Mask of Zorro, I'm so sorry. So was Anthony Hopkins, is what I'm getting from this trailer, was that Anthony Hopkins, was he an original Zorro that's training Anthony, Antonio Banderas as the new Zorro? I don't know. Here's something I'm remembering now that I'm watching these trailers is, ooh, I like this. He's doing push-ups on, two, on cinder blocks with candles under him. Here's something I'm now remembering is that Catherine Zeta-Jones has like a whip. That's like her weapon, right? I think she shows up with a whip. Uh, I don't remember. What's, I think I've what only, is Zorro? Seen, the, is I think I've only seen the second Zorro. Is Antonio Banderas in the second one? 
what is Zorro? It might be like folklore. It might, he might be like Robin Hood or something yeah. like that. Yeah, is it like a book? Like, what, where's, what is the source material? <laughs> so, we should have researched this so much. We, like, a, we don't even know what Zorro is. All right, Zorro is a fictional character created by an American pulp writer. Really? Yeah, in 1919. I do remember, this, like, there's a scene right here, right, this scene where he, um... He, like, cuts open her dress a little, like, so you can it, see But it has, like, almost cartoonishly doesn't, like, come off for, like... 30 seconds or whatever. Oh, yeah, like, you, yeah, right. Like, it's, it's kind like, of like a she, joke. It's like she runs off the cliff yeah. and it doesn't notice till. I bet there's some cool stunts in this movie. Like, some great horse horse riding. Yeah, there's definitely, like, an explosion and, like, someone, like, flipping over a horse. Oh, here's two guys jumping off a bell tower. A lot of good sort. Yeah. Here's what my main thought when I think about this. Um, I think Antonio Manderas should be more famous today. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I feel like he kind of faded away a little bit. And yeah. I think he's such a... He's, he had a great couple of years. What's the last movie I saw Antonio Banderas in? I don't know. This one? The only thing I can think of is The Expendables, and I hope there's something else. Oh, right. He's in The Expendables. He's the guy who's like good at like flipping. and He's like kind of like... He's the one who's like an acrobat, right? Yeah, that's, I, I believe so. Yeah, I'm looking, and... Oh, he's going to be in Dr. Doolittle. Uh, he played Pablo Picasso in that uh, yes, TV miniseries. Yes, he might have gotten a nomination for that. I'm, I'm sorry, this is so... I'm looking at his recent movies, and like I haven't even heard of any of them except The Knight of Cups, Machete Kills. So yeah, we really haven't seen... Knight, oh, you know Knight, of Cup, Knight of Cups is a Terrence Malick film. You know where he? You know where Antonio Banderas has been? He's Puss in Boots. I think there's a lot of Puss in Boots shit oh, out right. there. Oh, right. He does that, a lot of Puss in that's Boots. That's the Shrek spinoff, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So there was a scene in that movie where, in this trailer, not even in the movie, where he like Rain cut Ma- open her dress and saw like a little more thigh. I mean, we're watching like a general audience's trailer. This isn't particularly revealing, right? And then another scene where he cuts off her in the entire top of her dress. This is all in the trailer. Yeah, I was, you know, it, it, uh, that's Zorro, you know, Zorro. You think you can't contain Zorro? Was the second Zorro movie like a sequel to that one with Antonio Banderas? Yes, and that one I have seen. Oddly, wow, it came out in two thousand five, seven full years later. What's the second one called? The Legend of Zorro. The Legend of Zorro, yeah. That one has no one I've heard of. Michael Emerson's in it. Oh, uh, Ben from Lost. Ben from Lost, yeah. Uh, That guy's everywhere. So yeah, Zorro's not one. Zorro's another one where I think uh, the gong might beat us. We're just about there, but I think we're out of things to say about Zorro. I just haven't seen that movie, but I love Antonio Medeiros. I love Catherine Zeta-Jones. It makes me nostalgic for that. That's when she was in Traffic and other cool movies. And Tra- yeah. Remember Entrapment? Are we talking about Entrapment? No. Okay. That's another summer, I think. So this next one, uh, let's say you know, you're know you driving in the car, not a care in the world as you listen to, I don't know, let's say Faith Hill. Uh, you're listening to some boys' own, having Love a great time, because you're going to the theater to see the movie everyone's talking about, Saving Private Ryan. Oh, wow. Damn. A summer movie. Isn't that kind of funny? That is kind of funny. Now, like, generally the way it works is summer movies are, like, generally big yeah. and stupid with a lot of explosions. Like a but line. it's, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a heavy-hitting Oscar contender, but it is also... A, it's got probably what I think... Oh, it's, it's certainly it, on the short list. I don't want to call it an action movie, but it's like, you know, it's got some really intense action-y sequences. Yeah, that this landing is almost certainly one of the best action scenes. It's kind of weird to call it an action yeah. scene because you know, it's depicting script, a lot of actual people dying, but... Um, in the script, that scene is only like a, a page long and Spielberg was like, no, this needs to be like... He it was like he was like, this needs to be like a 10-minute sequence. And he was right. Have you seen Saving Private Ryan like recently? I have, actually. I That's a movie that I like so much, I go back and rewatch it like a lot. I've seen it 
two or three times, but not in a long time. I mean, it's obviously good. Yeah. It's really well remembered, I think. Um, kind of fam- famously lost Best Picture to um, to uh, Shakespeare, Shakespeare in Love. Love. Yeah, it was a very controversial it's, decision. Yeah, it's like definitely one of the... I mean, is it one of the... Is it, Do you think, like, just general consensus-wise, does it get on that list of, like, Best movies of all time, like if like some magazine, I think it probably certainly does. best war movie, of, one of the best war yeah. movies of all time. I mean that that not just the opening Normandy scene or Omaha Beach scene, but mostly that scene. I think kind of reinvented the way war scenes were done from then on. Like even like video games copied that stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. The handheld cameras, the dirt on the lens, the going underwater, the noise, like. When Tom Hanks's uh, ears get blown out, and you just see, you hear the ringing, and you see everything. Like I see that in like Call of Duty commercials and stuff. You know, like yeah, I feel, but like- also movies and well, it was. Just, I think it was very influential. Yeah, on Pearl Harbor, and I, re- I, this is not an original thought. I'm sure other people have made. No, this I, that's opinion, the funny thing yeah. about Saving Private Ryan. It's like. I haven't discussed it in a while, but like, what is there to say about it? You know, it's like real good. Everyone likes it. All, uh, uh, I, I will. Here's a here's a here's a thought about it. That's kind of fun. Um, in a movie that's not very fun. Um, Vin Diesel's in it? Yeah. Actually, that's exactly... <laughs> not just Vin Diesel, but the whole cast. Like, yeah, It's cast. L- much like some of these other films we've talked about, like Deep Impact or whatever. Great... Or, um, or um, what's the other one with the great ensemble cast we were talking about? Lethal Weapon 4? Kind of. Anyway, though, but yeah, Let's great ensemble. Cast. Tom Hanks, Tom Sizemore, Edward Burns, Barry Pepper, Adam Goldberg, Vin Diesel, Giovanni Ribisi, Jeremy Davies. We always get excited for the Lost alum. Mm-hmm. Matt Damon, Paul Giamatti's in this movie. That's awesome. Ted, Dan- you said Ted Danson, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh no, I didn't get to him yet. Uh, oh, maybe I did. I don't know. Paul you Giamatti, know Dennis Farina, um, Brian Cranston is in this movie. He's the Colonel at home. That's right. Yeah. So like that. Geez, that's a pretty killer cast. You know what it is? It's because. The movie's kind of a road trip movie, essentially. They're going; right. they're, they have to walk from Omaha Beach to wherever they think Ryan is, and they're kind of—it's like the Wizard of Oz or whatever. So every scene provides an entirely new group of people. So you get like Paul Giamatti is in it for one scene, but it's, right. or Ted Dance is in it for one scene, but they're they're part. They're like you know they're one one stop on this journey. It's so funny because like I mean Brian Cranston. And Paul Giamatti, especially at that point, are not that famous. Like you maybe know them from other things. But yeah. Ted Danson, um, and this is why Ted Danson is underused until maybe recently. Even though he's like obviously a great actor. Like when you see Ted Danson in something, like you can't not think of Cheers. Like he really stands out. And I feel like that's one of the first times I can remember seeing Ted Danson like not in Cheers. Yeah, yeah. I, it was like I remember seeing the movie. I mean, I was. I think it's unfair to Ted Danson, who is obviously an incredible actor and like can do anything. And I think you probably, but he's so associated with Sam Malone. It's it hard not, and it doesn't like derail the movie. Like he, no, he's in not. character. He, he he owns it. It's a fun. Let me give a, you a hot take about Saving Private Ryan. Let me see if I can say something negative about the this Nazis film. should have won. <laughs> uh, like it's, I'm still a little frustrated at the plot twist. How the guy at the end is Matt Damon, the old guy at the end is Matt Damon and yeah. not Tom Hanks. Like, in the beginning, don't you see the old guy morph into Tom Hanks? Not morph, but, like, they cut directly from his... Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and then at the end, it's, like, not him. Which I guess is effective because then it makes Tom Hanks' death at the end of the movie, like, you know, hit that much harder. You think he's going to survive and, like, right. no one is safe or whatever. Right. But I'm still a little mad at them. I feel like they, it's a little misleading. What do you think? Um, I don't know. I think I think it's fair. I think it's fair game. I guess it's a little. I don't understand why you're why it bothers you. I guess twenty years later, I'm still <laughs> mad about it. Isn't 
that it wasn't it kind of fun to have that twist like aren't twists I, fun? I can see like i already worked out in my head why they did it and like obviously it's effective yeah. i'm sure i was really shocked when tom hanks died but it i also like, like a little misleading i watched i've watched all of lost i'm watching westworld i'm so like desensitized to like narrative or twists or like right. that i maybe doesn't even feel that much of that shocking to me anymore but yeah i, I actually thought it was kind of cool I've definitely seen it used many times as like a reaction gif when someone's like, you know, uh, like when I hear fastball on the classic rock station and it's like the gif of Matt Damon like aging into the old That's man. Funny. It's it's a perfect for that. That's great. That's what the movie's legacy is, a gif. I Jeremy Davies is so good in that movie. I forgot about that. All right, we're coming down the home stretch here. Just a few more movies. Late summer's ending. We're going like we gotta say bye to those girls we met at the beach house. I'm gonna say also this is the summer of Blade. I'm gonna we can skip Blade because uh, me, uh, if you're if I think you, you love Blade. Oh, I love Blade. But uh, we did an entire po- episode of this podcast with John Gabris dedicated to Blade, and then we did an entire episode of his podcast dedicated to Blade Two, like a home and home. And, oh, I haven't um, heard that. That's so yeah, funny. Yeah, we did an entire Blade One and a Blade Two episode. So I feel like I've got a lot of my Blade thoughts out there. And we, we can, you we and I rewatched Blade. Blade, like at yeah, the we saw theater. it in theaters. I'm sure I, I cannot talked about that believe the last line of that movie is Wesley Snipes saying, "Some motherfuckers are always trying to skate uphill." Is that not the last? Line? It's the last thing he says to Stephen. Dorff it's like the kiss off line. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. I just cannot believe I didn't remember that was the last line because it's maybe the greatest. Yeah, he's got some good lines line ever. Movie. Okay, but we're skipping that one, but there's no way we're skipping. I love this movie, and I love Ooh. this is like the kind of movie that you would only see on TV, and you're never going to see it anymore. It is The Negotiator with Kevin Spacey. Oh, yeah, um, and Sam Jackson. And um, a lot of David Morse is in that. It's got a great cast. This is like, to me, this is the ultimate basic cable movie that I will always right. stop flipping through and watch, and it will never be on basic cable ever again because of the presence of Kevin Spacey, which is a real tragedy. TNT did that, show that's it a the lot. the real tragedy, you might say, of the whole Kevin <laughs> Yeah, story. well, yeah, the, the real victim here is the movie The Negotiator. The Negotiator. So this is like, I feel like maybe one of the first ones where we, you kind of have to let people in a little. They might not know The Negotiator is a great, it's like my favorite kind of movie where it's like a puzzle box crime thing where um, Kevin Spacey is a hostage negotiator and he, you see like a scene of him negotiating for hostages, which is always like a fun little puzzle to work out in the movies or whatever. And then he is like framed for another crime, and then he takes hostage. Sam Jackson is the negotiator. Oh, wait. framed. Oh, excuse me. You're right. Sam yeah. Jackson is framed for a crime. He takes hostages, and Kevin right. Spacey is the negotiator brought in to take Sam Jackson down. But Sam Jackson's this amazing negotiator, so he knows like all the tricks, and he right. knows like where to block them and like what they're going to do. So there's like this cat and mouse thing between Kevin Spacey and Sam Jackson. I guess spoiler is that, uh, you know, Sam Jackson's been framed. I think you know that the whole time as the right. audience. He's I think innocent. He eventually gets Kevin Spacey in and, like, they uncover this whole, in the midst of this hostage crisis, uncover this whole conspiracy in the police department. Yeah. It's a great fucking movie. I love that movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's just, like, one of those, like, tight little, like... I think basic... I think you I think you nailed it on the head when you called it, like, a basic cable classic. It's just sort of, like... Most people have probably seen that movie because of it was on TNT all the time, and it is very solid. Um, also, another movie with a kind of a cool because yeah, he, he takes all these hostages, and the, the hostages all become kind of their. There's a little kind of comedy going on with the oh, hostages, kind of like Speed, like Speed. Yeah, I got Alan Ruck and stuff. This has Paul Giamatti once again. Oh yeah, and um, I cannot remember the, name this of the is actress. Like two years after. Like, Private Parts had probably come out, like, a year or two before this, and everyone's like, all right, who's this Paul Giamatti yeah, I mean, Paul guy? Giamatti's, everything. Yeah, he had, I mean, he's in everything throughout, like, the 90s and the 1000s, until yeah. he kind of 
blew up with sideways and stuff or you know as a as a leading man essentially yeah. um but yeah i i remember paul giamatti and like and there's another actress whose name i forget but she's in it and she's great she's the one who she plays um the actress who plays ed the bug's wife in men in black is a is like also a hostage and she's very funny um anyway yeah, F- F- I wrote. I wrote. A, I actually wrote a sketch uh, about a hostage standoff once um, that Rob Corddry was in, and I wrote with Adam Adam Conover, and we named the the name of the hostage negotiator that he played Sabian Roman, which is Chris Sabian is one of the characters. It's the Kevin Spacey character, and Roman is the other character name. Very clever. Also, J T. Walsh was in this movie and died several months before the film's release. That's sad. I love J T. Walsh. Yeah. So. That's just a movie I really remember. I, I like love that movie. I'll probably never see it again now, you know? No, I'm glad you included it. Um, oh, that's just a regular text message. We don't have to respond to that. Um, but <laughs> that's another, not a gong. That's a ding. <laughs> another movie that came out this weekend, though, was, which I don't, I've seen like a little bit of. I was a little bit old for it at the time, but it's like one of those other ones that stuck around. Uh, the Lindsay Lohan Parrot Trap. I've, I've never seen that, but it is. I have a lot of friends who love it. Right. Like, it's another one that I think yeah. stuck around above and beyond, like, other She Disney plays, like, two versions of She's twins, right? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, we don't know anything about the parent trap. We can just move on from that one. I don't. I have not seen it. I'm yeah, afraid. I, guess I have no insight um, on that. All right. Moving <laughs> sorry. On. We're, we're, running, we're just about out of things to talk about now because the next week. Our- we're such bros. Like, we've seen The Negotiator multiple <laughs> times and have never seen The Parent Trap. I'm so sorry. That's have really you embarrassing. Seen, I know you've seen this. July 31st. Uh, small release would not be very popular. It is Basketball. The, um, yes, I have Matt seen Basketball. Stone, Trey Parker movie that they are in maybe they wrote but did not direct it's directed by i want to say one of the zuckers or something i'm not even sure they wrote it i think they're literally just in it this is I like could be south wrong. park was like white hot yeah right like this is like south everyone's like it's blowing everyone's mind like there's this cartoon with cursing or whatever there's like one scene where trey parker does a cartman impression and it's like in every commercial right. and every trailer because like hey it's him it's cartman this is another movie like Dirty Work where it's like, I'm like, there are some funny parts of this. I haven't seen this one as recently. And I'm like, there's some funny parts of this movie, right? But then I'm thinking about it and all the funny parts are like the distraction. So for those that don't remember basketball, the premise is that these two guys make up a game that gets popular and is that played at like a national level called basketball, which is actually a pretty fun premise for a movie now that I'm thinking right. about it. And part of the game is that you can distract the other player while you're doing whatever the equivalent of pitching is, I guess. Yeah. And... The reason Matt and Trey are so good is they're insanely good at distractions, right? They're like unpredictable and they're funny and, and they're, they're vulgar, crude. Yeah, right? Yeah. And then like there's a lot of I, like I feel like the distraction scenes are maybe funny in that movie, and then it's like the, how the prank scenes in Funny or Dirty Work, right? And then it's like there's a threadbare plot kind of stringing it all together. I you know what a f- weird thing about a thing about that movie that's interesting is like they actually very thoroughly describe the rules of basketball, like. If you and I watch that movie, we can like go out and play a game of base. Like it's not just like a vague right. thing. Like they explain how the game works. To I you. wonder if like a screenwriter somewhere invented that with his friend, and they were like, you know, this was their yeah. Was it's their a movie. pretty very. It's a very specific premise. I don't really. It's a it's a weird low budget movie. The other thing yeah. I really wanted to say about the movie, and half the reason I put it on this list is I wanted to quote an AV Club listicle I read like eight years ago that really stuck with me. Um, I think I actually can't remember the topic of, but they were just talking about. Uh, one of the songs from that uh, movie is the Real Big Fish cover of Take On Me. Real Big Fish was a very big ska band. Yeah. Third wave ska, I want to say, at the time. You're a fan. And I did like Real Big Fish. I did like Real Big Fish a lot. And um, 
they cover take on me. And I just, I remember this because I thought it was such a funny point that the AV Club made once, that the real Big Fish cover of Take On Me actually sounds more dated than the original Take On Me by Uh Aha. Because the original one... Like that's what music kind of sounds like now. Like it, like it's techno and right. fun. But the real it's, big it's fish timeless. one is yeah, it is timeless. But the real big fish one is like such an a, a artifact of like nineteen ninety eight specifically because it's ska. Because it's ska and like right. it's like that kind of like fun real big fish ska. Now that you mentioned, I do remember that song in that movie. Yeah, that was because I liked. I was not a specifically a real big fish fan, but you know, I was like, I was like, that's cool. Ska's cool. Um, you want to move on? I think we can just move past basketball now. Do you have any? Yeah, well, hey man, you're 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 in charge of. Listen, I'm just I'm just a time traveler stuck in '98. Um, so whatever you want to do. Maybe this is like mystery science theater, and like we can't return to the. This isn't exactly a mystery science theater works, but like we, it's part of our mission to return to the future is to review all these movies. Like that's how we, that's how we unlock the key back to the future. Yeah, that's what the that's what the ancient that's what the book said. Yeah, yeah, the Necronomicon. So the next um, the next week. No, in August. So August now, we're living in August, and like the Meg came out, and like some other uh, Crazy Rich Asians came out, and like some popular. Which the big Meg? Movies. I I I um I want to just give Jeff credit here. This the Meg is yet yeah. another um piece of evidence in your very long-standing um belief that every August will have a Jason Statham sleeper hit. Yeah, and, and that's that's it's been proven. Jeff right. Pat, some movie review fans will remember from many years almost ago. every year. I think you've been proven. We, correct. we talk about always uh, a state. If of anything, art. I'm surprised it still have. He's. He, I think he's more famous now. Like, I'm surprised he's still doing the late August movies. Right, you right. Know? I, he's he's like. I mean, he's going to be this. He's co-starring with The Rock in a uh, Hobbs and Shaw. So I think August now is like there's a little bit of life in it. Um, but back then there was not, except for Blade, of course. And <laughs> one movie that I had to look at was like. I saw like the Avengers, and I was like, "What is that wrong?" But then I remembered it's the Ray Fine Uma Thurman Avengers. Remember, there's a movie called The Avengers with Ray Fine. I, I never and Uma saw, Thurman? but I remember, and that's uh, based on a '60s TV yeah, show. Yeah, it's based right? on a yeah. '60s TV show. Sean Connery's the bad guy, and they're like dapper. There English were a people. lot of like '60s TV reboots at that. Per- I, yeah, at I think, that like, period Adam's of time, Family was a hit, and Brady Bunch. The was Saint, a hit. The Saint with Val Kilmer. Yeah. These are all like '60s TV. Sh- it was like. The, yeah, the Adams Family. It's probably like now, like the Flintstones. I don't. There's not, probably like a time period where you like you look back, say twenty years, and like I bet now they're producing like now they're rebooting the TV shows like Baywatch that are as old now as uh, the Avengers. I was know then. it's so weird. Like yeah, we're talking about the Avengers, the reboot of a '60s TV show that is now twenty years old. It's mind blowing. It's just really funny to me. There's like another movie called The Avengers that didn't come out that long ago. Oh, that's from like. That's from basketball. That's a or different. Something. Oh no, the, the gong, dude. We got to respect the gong. So that's actually really the end of the summer. But I was just looking at the calendar, and there's at least four. We're ending with the Avengers. <laughs> there's at least. Well, we can end with this. There's at least four other like really memorable movies. Memorable to fit, very memorable movies that came out in 1998 that are not summer movies, but maybe bear at least a moment of acknowledgement for. This is a pretty great year for movies. Um, I agree. Rush Hour. I'm gonna go in reverse order of how um, how That's, excited I am. Love that. Rush movie. Hour came out in the fall. Uh, Ronan with um, Ronan's also great. John Frankenheimer movie with uh, Robert De Niro is like a pretty good. But then also these are the two I'm really excited about: Babe Pig in the City, which I'm sure I've gone on about in this podcast. Yeah, before. you're a huge Babe in the City. Yeah. Babe Pig in the City, which is the uh, incredibly strange sequel to the original Babe. Babe, everyone knows Babe. You're like, oh yeah, I remember Babe. No one remembers they made a sequel that was enormously unpopular. It's the same director. George Miller directed both of them, I think, right? I think that's correct. And um, it's really dark and weird, and like they're in this city where only animals can speak. It's very strange and like 
dark and gothic. I've actually never seen it, which is surprising considering like how much you recommend it all the time. Yeah, it's like so. a pretty good movie, and I just love it. I love that like Babe was like this breakout Oscar nominated family yeah, movie, Babe, and they made best an, picture nominee, and they made the most bizarre like unfriendly sequel to it, like. That fascinates me already, and then it's actually pretty good. Yeah, I wonder what his thought process was. Like, why did he make such a different movie? He made a sequel so different than the first one. Yeah, and the first one's, like, so appetizing and warm. Yeah. Like, the first one's, like, oh, such a warm, lovely movie, you know? Like, it's so good. And the second one's good, too, but it's just, like, I th- like I think people were, like, really put off by how dark it was. Like, people right. were not prepared for that. So I think, I, I always love that. And it's the also, other- uh, but, like, you know what, like, that's George Miller's career. It's so weird. Like he made those movies in Happy Feet, and then he went back to Mad Max, yeah, which was and made a fourth Mad Max that is maybe, maybe the best of all of them. Yeah, exactly. Like I mean, I can't. I love his brain. The fact that he can pivot between these genres and yes. stop doing action films for twenty years and just make the best one ever. So if you want to see the guy who made all the Mad Max movies direct a movie where only animals talk to each other in like a weird impressionistic city, check out Babe Pig in the City. And then the other movie that came out in 1998, almost certainly, it's got to be the number one movie in 1998, is The Big Lebowski. The Big Fucking Lebowski. You ever heard of it? You heard of this film, The Big Lebowski? Who's in that? Wait. Uh, oh, that's the same year you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is wild. The Big Lebowski. Not a big movie when it came out. Like, no. I, it wasn't like not a phenomenon when it came out, but like now it's like almost certainly one of the most, like, you know, who if intru- you ask every, if you just had a nationwide poll, what's the best movie that came out in the past 25 years? The Big Lebowski, I think, would be in the top 10, maybe. Top ten of the last twenty five years, something like that. You know, yeah, it's yeah. like I think it's maybe in that, it's in that. It's maybe it's no, no. It's the Coen I'm not Brothers. It's the most it's, popular movie. Uh, I'm just saying there's a, a large swath of people for whom it is their favorite movie. I love it. Yeah, I, mean, I, I know you love it. Yeah, I, I would say I feel it's, it's cliche to say, but it really is like one of my favorite movies. I the uh, I remember in 1998 the first person the person who introduced me to the Big Lebowski was my mother, which is really bizarre, but she rented it at Blockbuster and was watching it and like really loved it first. I think she loved the soundtrack because she's like right. from that era. Like a lot of the songs are from like the 60s and the 70s. Um, and she loves like noir movies. So I don't know. It's a very, she's not, if you know my, she's like the last person I would expect to introduce me to the Big Lebowski considering, especially now considering it's like weird cult status. But yeah. The Big Le- you know, I saw it. Thanks in, mom. I saw it in theaters and the thing I really remember about, I actually like very clearly remember seeing it in theaters and I very clearly remember the moment when Walter like bites the guy's ear off and spits it into the air, and there's like that shot of the yeah. air. I've like fallen. Why that moment? Because I was like falling out of my seat laughing. Oh, like funny. I actually remember like like a cliche movie critic. Like I'm in the aisle laughing, like falling out of my seat. Like That's I, so funny. I really remember that moment, like laughing as hard as I'd ever laughed. You know? Have you ever seen? Um, apparently, John Turturro oh, like, yeah, made, made a movie, sequel, Jesus. a Jesus spinoff. Like it's kind of like. Quasi a spin out like yeah like I did the Coen Brothers like gave him gave him their blessing, and I think it's not like super explicit that it's like the same universe as the Big Lebowski, but I don't think it's anything like it's not like in the tone of the Big Lebowski or anything. But it, it's some way like a quasi spin off of the Big Lebowski about Jesus in it, some way. Yeah, I have not seen it. It is called maybe which of these is it? Hair. Uh, one sec. Oh, going places. That's what it's called. Going places. Actually, it's, it turns out it's not out yet. It still says an upcoming crime comedy film. So that might explain. If I, certainly, if I I would hear something about it, like it seems like another movie with Jesus, and like someone would let you know if it's good or not. You know. Um. 
Filming began in August 2016, but it still says it's an upcoming film, so I don't know what's up with that. Have you ever done the Lebowski challenge where you drink a white Russian whenever he drinks one? Oh or smokes a joint whenever the he smokes a joint? The most hungover I've ever been in my life was at a big Lebowski party in college, and I drank... My friends who were there will definitely remember this. I drank so many white Russians, which is a terrible drink to Were drink you trying to do the challenge? And, no, I no. think I was just drinking a lot of white Russians, and not wrecking... I think I like didn't eat enough, and like... White Russians are a bad drink to get hung over on. Right. And it's to this involved. day, I cannot yeah. drink. I, like, even thinking about a white Russian makes me nauseous right now. And this is like, That's I'll, too bad. I'll never drink another white Russian in my life, like, after this party. Like, Can you a, watch the movie anymore? Oh, yeah, I love the movie. Yeah. But it's the most hungover I've ever been That's in my so life funny. is from those white Russians, yeah. I'm sorry, dude. But it's one of the best movies. 1998, pretty solid year for movie. I and, love it. I can't believe, like, the you know, variety look, of movies. Like, we didn't talk about Pi, but Pi was, that's... Yeah, like... Darren Aronofsky. On well, the you scene. know, '99 is a very famous year in terms yep. of like all these direct, like Spike Jones's big. We first... might have an opportunity to talk about it next summer. Yeah, so that's kind of cool. Like, it's not that surprising that like a lot of cool things were happening in American cinema at this time. Yeah. So it's it's obviously going to be a fun summer. You know, it's you still see movies like that are let's say Armageddon level or better or. Um, actually, there's not a lot of like great action movies this summer. Looking at the list, like there's no good like there's no really like. Armageddon's the best one, but like Godzilla and Zorro aren't particularly well remembered. So anyway, there's still like big summer budget action movies, but I do miss like those movies like The Negotiator or maybe Bullworth that like, I don't know that those exist in the summer anymore. Like, Yeah, well, this summer's been kind of interesting, I feel like. But yeah, I don't really know. Like, yeah, those middle, like to me, it's almost like, yeah, it's this summer's, they're, the movies are at both extremes where it's either like the Avengers Infinity War or Eighth Grade. Right. I love both those movies, but neither of them are like. But the Avengers was clearly better. <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> uh, you mean uh, the the Ralph Fiennes Uma Thurman Avengers? Yes, yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, okay, well, we did it. We made it through all the movies. Are we going back? Are we still stuck in '98, or what's going on there? Uh, well, I don't know. What do you? How does it work? What do you think? I think I want to keep us trapped in like it's like Quantum Leap, you know? Like yeah. we can. What else? Next do you time do in 1998. Um, I guess invest in. Like Facebook or something or YouTube, right? No, that's that's a, a pretty idea. boring answer. Sorry, <laughs> that's a very pragmatic answer. Just like the end of oh, prevent nine eleven. Also, here's a good. That's a good college humor sketch. You ever see that one where like yeah, yeah. someone who is it? Trap goes back in time. It's Trap and Murph. Yeah, Tra- Murph. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's great. Uh, the, there is that's you ever see this is like a good mid level summer movie. I don't know if it actually came out in the summer, but Frequency, great movie. I love uh, Frequency. Yeah. Frequency, a, that's the end of that, the, like, the last joke of that movie is that, like, he invested in Yahoo in the past, which is now funny. not funny again because Yahoo no longer exists or is being sold off or whatever. Uh, there was a Frequency TV show on CBS for a short-lived Frequency TV show. Yeah, I don't which, think it lasted. No, it's a fun night. Uh, Frequency is really great. Underrated. Yeah, underrated, underrated movie for yeah. sure. It I would put it in the negotiator camp of, like... Exactly, yeah. Like, these kind of middle-budgeted movies with... Great actors, but not big, like not Transformers or whatever. Dennis Quaid. You've been crazy for Quaid for a while. I'm crazy for Quaid. Yeah, thanks for that. Thanks for coining that. Yeah. I'm going to use that for forever now. Uh, okay. Well, Pat, anything else we got to talk about here? No, no. Uh, thanks I for having good. me. I love how long it. do you think this was? This whole episode? Yeah. How long do you think I've been recording? I didn't pause. When I'm going to say for the two, bathroom break. Ninety minutes. Hour forty-five. Wow. If Enjoy, everybody. If, if, you, you, if you made it. if you made it this far, I. Love you. If you made it this far, you unlock three Jeff Rubin, Jeff Rubin points. So yeah. make sure you hold on to those because, uh, you know, you're going to be able to spend them Redeem in the future them, on future yeah, episodes. Whatever. 
and watch uh, The Negotiator. Well, Pat, thank you so much for coming by. I'm not sure you've been on since the last summer movie review. We have to do something non-summer movie related on the podcast soon. I would love to. Sounds great. Well, thanks as always, Pat. Bye. Thanks for having me. That was a HeadGum Podcast.